And we're live. Welcome, everybody, to the Slightly Chewed Podcast. I'm your host, as usual, Chris Watson. And with me today, uh, one of my really good friends and TV personality, internet personality, musician, singer. It's, it's hard to come up with all the descriptions for all the things I am. I was driving up here thinking about wh- how I was going to introduce you like that. And those were the things I come up with. I just go with internet sensation. Sensation. I didn't. Want, I didn't know it's if that was if that was you know, the term so, or not. It sounds weird. Uh, you know, I have people all the time who say, "What do you do?" I do so many varied things that it's almost impossible to put that into a description. That's entirely true. I call. I, you know, it's. I don't know if it's the right term or not, but that old Renaissance man kind of thing where you have so many multi interests and and. It's pretty varied. I, you know, I was trying to explain. My mother called me on the phone. I don't know. She was probably a year or so ago. And she said, what are you doing to make a living? <laughs> and I said, well, it's kind of hard to describe. You know, and you've got my parents aren't on the Internet. So right. they don't have any concept of social media. They've come along. My mother finally got an iPhone mm-hmm. about, I don't know, eight months ago. Before that, she had the flip phone. Oh, yeah. Deal. I miss the flip phone. I, a, a big part of me does, too. I don't. I try to think of trying to do what we do today on social media if you were trying to do it with flip phone technology where you had to push the button, you know, four times to get a... Right, a, to get to the C the, or yeah. the D. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. I got pretty fast with it when I was in high school or whatever with a flip phone. I got I was, to the point where I could text. I've always been a cell phone guy. Once mm-hmm. they came along uh, and I'd get used to a phone, I could text with that old razor flip mm-hmm. phone without even looking. Yeah. I knew what I was doing. I could probably do it easier than I cuz you could feel the buttons. And then the right. BlackBerry came along. I could do the BlackBerry pretty well. The hardest adjustment for me was 2000, was it 2000? What was that? I guess it was probably 2007, 2008 when mm-hmm. I went from the BlackBerry to the iPhone. Right. And that, for me, I got an iPhone, and for the first five days, I was ready to throw it through the wall or take it back to the store because I couldn't function on the thing, and now I can't imagine life without it. Yeah, absolutely. I never had a BlackBerry, but I always heard that. The interface is so different. It's so different, but I got used to it. You know, the little roller ball on there, now it just feels antiquated. Mm -hmm. You know, who who in the world would think of using a BlackBerry nowadays? I think they did the right thing when they realized that they got outplayed. They just stopped making them. They (laughs) They became, they immediately. Immediately became paperweights. Yeah, they didn't try to keep advancing it and try to keep up because they couldn't keep up. They knew they couldn't keep up. It's a world, weird world we live in, though, where everybody's connected now. When I was in high school, I can remember driving around in my old, you know, 85 Grand Am with my buddies in the car. And I was right. like, I wonder what everybody else is doing tonight. Right. You know, and you drive around and see if everybody's hanging out at the, you know, here it's Carl's Jr. Sure. There it was Hardee's. Right. You know, everybody's in the Hardee's parking lot hanging out and, mm-hmm. you know, 18 years old having a beer, hoping the cops don't show up and bust up the party. <laughs> right. But I always said, what if we had the technology where we could figure out where everybody was all at the same time? Where's the party going on? Yep. And now everybody's connected. Yeah. It's a it's a really, really good thing. But at the same time, I'm, I, I enjoy when I go somewhere. I travel a lot as you do, and I'm sure that you feel the same way, that when I get somewhere that has really bad cell service, I love it. I'm off the grid for two days, I'm and at I don't a point. think about it. I, I honestly struggle with that, though, because it takes me, if I go on a vacation, it takes me a couple of days to disconnect from it because right. uh, I feel like I'm missing something. 
I'm of the, I actually lose sleep and I always have. I lose sleep because I feel like something's going on in the world that I don't know about and I'm not a part of it. Right. And the idea that we sleep one third of our lives is a little bit depressing to me yeah. because I'm afraid that I'm missing something. And so, uh, it, there's probably a psychological analysis and, you know, th- I need therapy is what I'm trying to say, <laughs> but uh, you know, I don't sleep. I have people all the time who'll see something that I'm doing at two o'clock in the morning online or whatever. And they'll say, you really never sleep. And, and that's probably a, again, not a healthy thing, but, uh, I'm afraid the world's going on without me. So when I'm on vacation, it takes me a little while to decompress and to just say, okay, the world will go on if yeah. I'm not connected to it. Yeah. But, I agree. I agree with that uh, too. It takes time to get off of it. Yeah. I agree with that. My, my, the rhythm of my life and the rhythm of constantly being on Facebook and being a public figure that's, I have to tell people where I am, what yeah. I'm doing all the time. I agree with that. But then once I get away from, once I get off of it, it's yeah. so liberating. I feel, I feel my brain decompressing. Well, you, and, and you know, I, I'm not sure how your mind works, but here's how I would guess your mind works mm-hmm. because you're a little more of a true, a little more pure artist than I would consider myself. I don't think of myself as an artist in terms of of music. I don't consider myself a musician, although I love music and, and I play at it. But, you know, the you you get pretty internal, don't you? I mean, as a songwriter, yeah. as somebody that is, is constantly looking for that next way to whether it's turn a phrase or or you know a certain chord progression or a note or a song or a tune in your head i imagine you have to internalize that quite a bit yeah you do and i well from my standpoint i i believe that the more the more realistic it comes out the more people are going to latch on to it on a very large scale do you ever feel like you've written a song and it's like that just feels contrived to me like i'm pushing too hard and i'm trying to make this song come out more more than the opposite yeah because i i hear something that i like and i want to write my own version of that yeah i guess and i i do i do that a lot and i don't trash it because i don't trash anything that i've made right because i can use parts of it for other things but that happens a lot and i think that you you get forced into that yeah because to be the the era of of musicians being true musicians and and fully expressing themselves with no regard for how people are going to perceive it right is long gone well for me following you as a fan to be a fan of your music a fan of your talent you know to be candid i don't think anything you've ever put out was contrived i don't think anything wasn't heartfelt and and, and pure music it really was and you to me i feel like you have kind of gone against the grain and, and pushed the uh, margins a little bit in terms of what you include in your music, whether it's the horn section mm-hmm. or a bigger sound, bigger band, that kind of deal. Mm-hmm. I've always admired that because, you know, here are these guys that are, you know, kind of getting into their acoustic thing. And you have always, uh, you know, you've used certain effects and you've added, sure. you know, certain foot pedals and boards and things like that. Yeah. You've, you've multiplied the sounds in a song and you've taken something that really, although it's remained a simple song, you've added a huge depth to it. So I've always admired that. So I, I've told people there's certain guys that are out there like yourself, Johnny Cooper, Justin Ross, some of these guys who are talented guys, but they've learned how to take technology yeah. and use that technology to the advantage of making music as well. Absolutely. So um, I don't know that I'm coordinated enough <laughs> to ever do anything like that. The loop pedal stuff that, that Johnny and I do and Justin, it, it 
and a lot of other people, uh, it's like learning an instrument. I mean, there's a learning curve on it yeah. that's that's goes way beyond just playing into it and then listening to it and recording over it. Like there's a the timing and and but you have to plan out the whole song before you even start the song. You got to right. know how I'm going to layer stuff and all of that. And and so I, you know, it, it takes a while before. It took a long time before I was comfortable. The loop pedal I had originally was just one one straight line of just loop up and then delete it. Yeah. And it was really, it was a lot easier in terms of just figuring out the timing. But the, the one I have now has three independent channels. Yeah. So I can make a drum beat on one that I can stop and start independently. Right. And then do a guitar part or do a harmony or whatever because it's got an XLRN for vocals as well. And so it's like learning a, a new instrument. And, and that's something that I really like about it. But I, I get really bored with myself. How if many I'm, instruments do you play? I play... Well enough that if someone asked me to play one on stage, I play six or so. That's incredible. That well, I mean, it's just something I've been doing my whole life. Yeah. I I don't, you know, I don't excel really at any of them, but I do them all well. I think. Yeah. You know what I mean? If someone sure. were to ask me to play drums on a gig, you know, I don't do that very often, but I feel like I could. Yeah. Because I've done it for so long, it's in there. You know what I mean? But. Uh, guitar and piano are my main instruments. Yeah. Those are my main. But see, I feel like playing those loop pedals and things like that, I, you're right. It's like learning another instrument. Absolutely. See, I, I, there's no way. The idea of playing a drum kit to me, I have rhythm, but I can't sure. play the drums. I mean, there's no way I can coordinate my feet, two hands, and all of these <laughs> right. things and put my brain. My brain, and I'm sure, with, again, if I did it my whole life and practiced, yeah. uh, that there would be some capability there. But I just, it never appealed to me the idea of working that hard make something happen <laughs> right yeah i mean it's you gotta want it and i've always liked music since i was a little kid and i've so it's i've always been drawn to it anyway so the idea of sitting down and practicing learning scales learning rudiments learning all that it was fun to me i didn't didn't bother me yeah at times it did but for the most part i was i would hear something and i'm self-taught on all the instruments and so i would hear something and i would go what is that i should learn that and then I would just because I wanted to. So I wasn't, I wasn't, it wasn't forced on me. I guess I think if that, I'm the kind of person that if you try to make me do something, I'm going to do the complete opposite of right. that. And so I think I know if, that feeling. if I had been forced yeah. into playing music, you know, I, I think when I was like six or five or six, my, my mom put me in classical piano and I learned very, very remedially how to read sheet music. Mm. And I knew how to play really remedial stuff. Like I did a couple of recitals and that was it. That was my only formal training. Yeah musically but that got me into it and uh you were saying earlier about about how i kind of push the boundaries and I, I agree with that to a to a point in that i don't i think the difference when i when i do things with the other local musicians specifically uh, is i get i get lumped in with a lot of different groups and a lot of different genres i agree you and, do. I, and i feel like i that works for me and it doesn't bother me because i don't identify myself as a genre and I think that that works its way into my records where every yeah. record that I've put out has been completely different. Well, I've had people who have, we've had conversations about you. I mean, we've talked about you behind your back. Oh, good. So yeah, it's always been positive <laughs> though. So nothing to worry about, but sure. I have people who want to lump you into that category of Texas country music. And I said, no, well, you can't do that. I mean, that's just not a fair assessment. Sure. Um, nothing against Texas country music. Of course, I'm a big fan, but, but you are beyond that category category you it'd be difficult to categorize you now i would say yes he's texas music because he's a texas musician right by, but but by it's proxy yeah but it's such a broader 
thing. I mean, you know, anybody that listens to your music has got to come away saying, man, I don't know how you would define this. I mean, there, there's a jazz element to it. There's a big band element to it. There's, you know, and then some of it's real simple and heartfelt and, and you know, grabs you in the emotions, you yeah. know, gets you in the feels. So I like your music, you know, just because it, it runs across all the way across the board. Um, you never know what you're going to get with a Chris Watson album. And I've, I like that too. Yeah. I, if I, if I would be really, I think I would be doing myself and everyone else a disservice if I were to make the same record over and yeah. over again. And I, there are a lot of artists, major label artists that do that and yeah. they, and they live on that and they make way more money than I do. So maybe I shouldn't <laughs> shit on that idea so much, but, but you know what I mean? Like I just, I, I, I think a lot of that stems from, I love every genre of music. Yeah. I, 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 I pull something positive from all of it, from right. hip hop to heavy right. metal to jazz to classical to country to blues all of it i really like it and yeah. i'm very i'm i consider myself very steeped in all of those genres yeah and and so all of that becomes a becomes a an influence to me and i, I think that comes through in the records and in the live show i might show up with a piano i might show up with an acoustic guitar i might show up with a band and i you know and it's different and it's different versions of the same songs yeah and depending on the show and the venue i i may you know i those from black, white, and gray being a Motown record with a horn section to this latest record, Fort Worth Sessions, being a straight Americana record yep. with a fiddle player, mm-hmm. I I I blend those two albums together in the live show, and I think that's where people get kind of like, where are we supposed to put this, and what is it, and then that that opens their mind up into going, okay, well, I don't know what it is, but I like it, so I don't care what it is, it doesn't right. matter, and I think that's. That's something that I try to do consciously. Yeah. When like I am sure this has happened to you a, a number of times too, like setting up for an acoustic show where people don't really know you're going to be there, so they don't know who you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, that probably doesn't happen to you anymore, but <laughs> that happens to me all the bit. time. So I, uh, the people will come up to me when I'm like I'm bringing in speakers, and first they always say, "Well, were you playing tonight?" And I'm like, "Well, that's a dumb question." I'm holding speakers and a guitar. Yeah, okay, but. And then I, they go, well, what kind of music do you play? And I try to turn it around on them and I try to say, well, what kind of music do you like? Yeah. You know? And then they say what they like and I go, great. I do some of that. And then they're happy and then they stick around and they don't, I don't say, well, I play some Stevie Wonder songs. I play a lot of original music. Well, you don't know who I am. You don't know what my original music sounds like, you know? So they may go, well, I don't really want to stick around for that. And then they leave when otherwise they could have stuck around and they would have really liked it. And so I try to turn that the whole concept of genre on its head because it's it's really dumb. It's a dumb concept. It is a dumb concept. You know, I grew up I grew up with two major influences of music. One was Saturday night listening through a staticky AM radio with my grandfather to the Grand Ole Opry. Mm. And so for me, I felt like music was, you know, kind of that old adage three chords and the truth kind of deal. Sure. And, and that was what I grew up on. And and I still to this day hold on to those original you know, roots, those artists of the 40s and the 50s and, and even the 60s that my grandfather was a fan of. And, I, you know, riding around in the pickup truck with his old, you know, door, you know, what are those pockets on the door, you know, full of cassette tapes. Yeah. And he just reached down and popped one in. Just pick one. And then I had a mother who was a gospel pianist. And, and, oh, wow. You know, she's, I grew up listening every Sunday morning. You know, we woke up to the sounds of her practicing church for mu- or music for church. Yeah. Incredible pianist. And uh, amazing the things she can do with a keyboard, and so that gospel piano is so. It really is, and my and my mother so expressive, and, and it's so different too. You I, know, I it's, love it so much. You know, it's got its roots. So much of it, especially in the deep south. You know, I grew up in Georgia, so so much in the deep south has its roots 
in in the black church and mm-hmm. in the southern gospel and uh you know that i'll fly away type deal but they all learned kind of how to play that piano in the same little ring to it. You know, yeah. they kind of roll it off yeah. on the ring. It's it, very it, expressive. It's, you can you can hear it, and a lot of times when people try to cross over from that, it's very difficult. They don't know how to just take yeah. that in to say, yeah. okay, you've grown up playing gospel piano. Now we want to ask you to play this country, and you've still got a gospel ring to it. And right. that, that's hard to break across that. So, you know, I grew up with the church. I mean, I could, you could hand me a hymnal, and out of 400 pages in a hymnal, I probably still remember the words of 250 songs yeah. in there off the top of my head. And that's, you know, at least the uh, first, second, and the fourth verse, because we never sure. sang the third. But, <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> but, we, you know, that's what I grew up with, and I grew up influenced by that. And, and so for me, people ask me all the time, what's your favorite kind of music? Well, I have my favorite kind of influences, but really I've been a fan of music. Yeah, um, you can. Uh, there's That's things, the most important thing. Well, two weeks ago we were riding, we were on the road, and we were somewhere doing a show, and, and it, we were on the comedy tour, and I was with uh, my buddy Quinn Patterson that's been traveling with us. He's a, you know, black guy out of Cleveland, a great comic, and and we were listening to just randomly, I don't know, we Eminem came on, mm-hmm. and he goes, "You like this?" And I said, "I love this." I said, "For the simple fact that I'm a, I admire the way the guy can spit words out of his mouth, pure poetry. I mean, it's incredible." And then I asked him, I said, how does it make you feel to know that the best rapper in the world's white? (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) So that started our debate. But, uh, you know, from from rap music all the way to, I mean, I can go back to high school. Gosh, we were listening to everything from the information society to, um, you know, my posse's on Broadway. Yeah. And it it was all there. And and so now uh, I can remember, gosh, I guess it's almost, it's almost 15 years ago now. I can remember uh, running into guys playing on the street mm-hmm. down in Fort Worth in the stockyards with a guitar case sitting open playing for tips. And some of these guys are on big stages now. Yeah. And I was introduced to Texas music and, and red dirt music and Texas country music. And I, I even got by coming to Texas, I learned Americana. I didn't yeah. know it was such a thing. Sure. And so now, um, you know, I'm a fan of all of it. Yeah. I, the Americana is a funny term because yeah. it doesn't mean it's like a catch-all. It, it is. It doesn't yeah. mean what it used to mean. Americana is what they're calling Appalachian folk or whatever right. now. Right. That's what it was then. But yeah. Americana now, you have Tedeschi Trucks Band putting out Americana. Rec- they're categorized as Americana, yep. and then you've got Jason Isbell. Yeah, you got Isbell. You got Sturgill Simpson, and, and everything in between. And everything in the middle. And so yeah, yeah and that, it's become the new catch-all, and it's because I think all of those all of those artists and all of those people have the same mindset that I have and a lot of people have in terms of just, they're just breaking down the walls of genre. It's not important. Yeah. Genre is not important. It's only important because you have to, when you put something out, you have to select one on iTunes well, when you're and, making it. And, okay. So somebody like yourself, you're a songwriter, you're a musician, you're a creator and, and you're an artist. So why in the world as an artist, would you ever want to be limited and labeled? No, because here's the thing about all. labels. As soon as you label somebody, you can categorize them. And if you categorize them, you can put them in a box. If you don't like them, stick them on the shelf and you never have to deal with them. Absolutely. Again. They're like, Oh, that's that country guy. And I don't listen to country music. Absolutely. And you don't, and that's one of the arguments, <clears throat> you know, I consider some of the Nashville artists that are out there today, putting out music, friends, personal friends. Yeah. Um, I don't always like their music, but I understand what they're doing from a business aspect on that. And I appreciate, yeah. is it historic country music? No, it's kind of become more of a party anthem in coming out of Nashville, but I'm not, 
you know, for me, I don't consider myself a songwriter. I'm a, I'm a writer, sure. but the song part eludes me because I'm not a pure musician. I'm not, that's not been a discipline that I've really pushed all sure. my life. And so I, I look at the writing of a lot of the music that's coming out of Nashville these days, and I'm going, that is really poorly written. Sure. And I know some of the guys that write these songs, and they're like, well, yeah, we're, we're writing poor songs all the way to the bank. And they it's are. It's hard to argue with that logic. And they are. And people are buying it. People are listening to it. And these guys are recording and, and making millions and millions of dollars. Um, so it, it's fun to get into the kind of the criticism game at the same time. But at the same time, I want to defend these guys as businessmen because they're putting something out there. What they're doing has been labeled by Nashville, but it has, I think, unfairly been labeled. Mm-hmm. It, it's not country music. It's not country music, but it is music. Well, to the rest of the country, it's country music. To the rest of the movie, it's country, yeah. When you're in Texas, music. it's not, no. because Texas has its own version of that. Well, and there's a lot of folks in Nashville that don't like it either. Um, yeah. You know, and there's a lot of folks out there that say, but again, it's, a, it's the industry. It is yeah. what it is. They pick that formula, and they find it, and they run it into the ground yeah. all the way to the bank, like you said. Yeah, I, it's uh, hard to argue with that because because exactly like you said and yeah. just now it's a business and those people at the top of the food chain and those businesses are th- does this work right now okay great put out a bunch of that right. and once we see just a tiny dip in the sales on that we'll figure out what the next thing is and we'll jump to that and that's you know that yeah. sucks that that's how it is but you uh, something that I think that most people have to understand coming from our perspective looking out at the masses of the world is that 99.9% of the population doesn't understand. They don't know anything about music. They don't know any different. They don't know anything about art and they don't know anything about music. And it's not because they're shitty people. It's not because there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with these people. It's because they never focused on that. They've never had a reason to, or maybe it was just never presented to them in the right way. And so they don't know that what they're, they don't know that when they listen to this Florida Georgia line song, that, that that's not that, you know, that's just, it's not, I hate to use the term not good because people do like it and that means it's good to somebody. Right. It's not it's not targeted to me as an actual musician. They're not playing their music for musicians. They're yeah. playing their music for for people who just want to go and be seen at this is the spot. Yeah. And that's not really music. Like you I but but who am I to say that that's not music? I don't know. That's such a gray area. I just it bothers me that 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 kind of stuff exists as a as an industry. Well, it does, and people are going to have people are going to choose what they like and what they don't like, and everybody likes something that you personally might not like, and so there's always going to be that debate. I mean, that's true all the way across the board. Um, You know, I might go online and post a, a you know one of my talking head videos that I do from time to time, and you know, fortunately, a large majority of the people who see it like it, but. You got a that. very large majority. You got, you got the last that. one you put out has like <laughs> 1.5 million views. That's a pretty large majority of people. Well, the one imagine. now the one yesterday is now at eight million. Okay, it's at seven well, million. So you haven't checked in the last 24 I hours, at it, Chris. I looked at it about 24 <laughs> hours ago. <laughs> So I mean, I don't me. count. I'm I mean, not counting. I'm not counting. Not. No, but excuse but, yeah. me for not looking. <laughs> I mean, today. you just missed it by six million. But <laughs> the uh, no, but even though people watch it, I still, of course, there are a lot of folks who disagree with it, and that's okay too. Because honestly, debate is good for everything. Absolutely, debate, not arguing. Right, debate, debate is good for everything. Debate is good for politics. That's why they have them. Yeah, debate is good for music. I think it challenges musicians to to work harder. Not critics, not criticism. No. I don't think there's anything in that. I mean, most of the people who criticize, they don't have a musical bone in their body. No. They've never, or they've never had an original thought. But no. they, they're good at criticizing people. 
And I guess, you know, whether it's the Internet troll or the person that says, oh, I don't like this for whatever reason, look, then don't like it. Sure. Nobody is forcing you to spend 99 cents on a single on iTunes. Yeah. Nobody's doing that. If you don't um, like it, don't don't listen to it. Change the channel. It's so easy. That's the beauty of music in America. Change it's, the channel. It's called recreational outrage. <laughs> That's what it's called. It really is. And I, it's it's too it's too easy to be alive these days. We're not being chased by lions and tigers to get. We're not having to run out there and catch a deer with our own right. legs and hands to kill it. Right. So we need everything's. This is arguably the best time in history to be alive. Right. It's so easy. I can. I ate at Burger King on my way up here. I drove through. I didn't even get out of my car, and they gave me a chicken sandwich and some iced tea. Yeah. And I handed them a piece, a piece of plastic, and I drove away, and I ate the food, and exactly. it was terrible for me, but I ate it anyway. Yeah. Well, at least it was chicken. But it was yeah, fried chicken, wasn't it, Chris? That's, that's the, fried chicken. That it was, but yeah. that's the. I could have gotten the grilled option, and I didn't. That's my fault. Yeah. But choices that's, but that's what i'm getting at is that it's just it's too easy and so people need something to complain about it's innate in human nature to need some sort of outlet of negativity yeah and i i think that that's a horrible way to go through life and i, I feel that same way about music i don't think music should be a competition right and right now you and i both have a very good friend on one of those shows mm-hmm. and i support him to the to the fullest extent of my heart on that show and i he is phenomenal and i believe he's going to do well sure on the show and as a result of the show. Sure. And I think that if you can look at it as that, it's a stepping stone into the whatever the next thing is, then if you're not doing everything possible to get ahead, then you're not working hard enough. I agree with that. But at the same time, when you tell someone who is who is genuinely pouring their heart out and genuinely doing something that they believe in to the fullest extent of their being, and you tell them it's not good enough from your chair when you're not even doing it at the moment, mm-hmm. and then you're you're you potentially you're you're crushing that person. Yeah, I've, I've said and that's a horrible thing. Yeah, there's there's something that that I've and it could be made to apply in this situation. There's something that I've said and lived with for a long time, and that is uh, how many dreams have been miscarried because doubt was invited into the delivery room, and yeah, so many that's people very eloquent. put doubt into other people's minds when you know i i could say something negative to you you can work your you know heart out putting together music and writing a song putting arrangements together doing all these things you're ready to record this thing and release it and you feel like you feel really good about it and then somebody some naysayer that you know has nothing to do with it no bearing whatsoever comes in and says you know i i don't like it I don't like it. I, I, maybe you maybe you change this or I don't know. Just scrap it and start over. Right. And now you walk away thinking, my gosh, is it really bad? Was I wrong on this? And that person walks away and never thinks about it ever again. Yeah. They have because it has no bearing on their life. And it's amazing to me whether it's a you know a critic or an internet comment or something that somebody says to me. It's amazing to me. I can read a thousand positive comments. And I see the one negative thing, and that's what sticks out. That's what I want to respond to. It's amazing how human nature gravitates towards the negative. And I find myself sometimes, and I'll get onto myself and I'll make myself stop. I'll have thousands of these comments on social media, and I'll start scrolling through as fast as I can just to see if I can pick out a negative word and stop on that one to right. read it. And I'm like, what the hell is wrong with you, man? Think about it while you're laying in bed at Why night. Why are you doing that? And, that <laughs> and then you're fuming, and you're like, I want to respond to this person. I want to say something because what they said doesn't make any sense, and it's logical. And they, how dare they come at me? And then I'm like, I don't know this person. I don't know where they're from. I don't know who they are. I don't know where they co- what they're going through or where they've been. I don't know how, what kind of day this person had. And right. tomorrow... 
I'll, I'll forget they exist too. Yeah. Because they're one of, you know, yeah. the many faceless, nameless. But it's amazing how we gravitate towards the negative. Yeah. And anybody that creates is going to be criticized. Um, I have people, and it, maybe you've heard this too, I don't know, but all of my life, I'll be 44 in, I don't know, three weeks. I'm starting to feel old, Chris. Happy birthday, hey, early. Yeah, early, yeah. Because <laughs> I know you won't wish it to me on, on that date, but. <laughs> I might, if I remember. If you see me on Facebook. If Facebook tells me that it's yeah, your birthday, exactly. then I will. That's, that's what matters now. We've got a constant <laughs> reminder through Facebook telling yeah. us whose birthday. We took a selfie earlier because yeah. if we didn't, then this wouldn't exist. If this you don't, and we're going to take another one because that one came out blurry. So oh. if you don't take a selfie, it did not happen yeah. in the 21st century. But um, I'll be 44 years old. I've always been a creative person. I've always been creative when it comes to humor and efforts at humor, whether it was, uh, videos or, you know, we used to take, we used to go, I used to get the church copying machine, man. And you know how you could, and now you got Photoshop. What you used to have to do is you'd find a picture and then you would take a picture, take somebody else's picture. You'd cut it out and you'd put scotch tape around it so that it wouldn't show up in the copying machine. And then you would <laughs> run it through the, the Xerox machine and it'd come out and you wouldn't see the edges. Now the coloring would be off and all right. of that, but you could put people's faces and heads on different sure. bodies. And you know, I would always do those things and, and do these funny posters sure. and, and all this stuff. And inevitably, no matter what I created, people would laugh at it and they would follow up with this statement. You have too much time on your hands. Right. I get that a lot. Well, that's because you're creative. I mean, anybody that's creative is automatically castigated and insulted by saying you got too much time on your hands. Well, I'll tell you what I say these days. I got enough time to drive to the bank and deposit those checks there that are go. coming in from the creativity. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so. Exactly. Well, I don't think that people consider, I know from my own personal experience, people don't consider what I do for a living a real job. Right. Because the, I don't go to an office and I don't clock in at, at 9 a.m. And, right. and I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that. It's just not the path that I've chosen for myself. Well, you don't get up, you don't get up and go into an you know, I, if, if I don't have anything to do during the day, I try not to schedule anything before 10 a.m. Yeah. Unless, you know, unfortunately, I have to do a lot of things early morning. I have phone calls and things that come in and then sometimes there are breakfast meetings. But you know what? Most nights I'm not home before three in the morning. Yeah, exactly. I'm not. You're not home. Gosh, you're later than that. Rarely. I mean, home. by the by the time a deal is, it, you know, a place is closed and done, and you hang out and you spend time with everybody, you're five o'clock in the morning probably before oh, yeah. you're getting home. And now you're unloading your stuff and you're getting you're trying to unwind and decompress because you just came in from a day's work. And now you know what? You're going to sleep till twelve. And people go, Oh well, you just sleep all day. Yeah, uh, yeah, actually, absolutely. People say that. I get that a lot, and I get, I get. Well, okay, but what do you, but like, what do you do for an income? Yeah. And I go, well, I, I haven't had, like, I haven't had a day job in seven or eight years. Yeah. Like, th you're yeah. looking at, like, I'm working right now. Right. Like, you and I, like, this is work. This like, is work. Like, this doesn't seem like work right. to, to the person that works well, well, in, okay, uh, in the Okay, so cubicle. let's, let's paint the picture for the person that's listening this far into the podcast and is curious. So, so Chris comes to the house. Actually, Chris started setting up the meeting, you know, a couple of days ago and says, okay, I want to come. We're going to get together. We're actually at my house. Right. This is Chad talking. So we're at my house. We're in, we're in my office. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, Chris comes in. He brings his gear. He's got to set up. He's got to set up a little mobile studio. He's got to do all these things. He's got to start unrolling wires. He's got to put mic stands together. He's got to get the computer programs up and done. And then it's not even going to finish when we're done talking today. Now you got to do, you got to do post editing. you got to put this thing together. you yeah. got to create a show. Most people have no idea what goes into that. I have people, we show up in town inevitably no matter what town we go to with the comedy tour i have people and they mean well and god bless them i appreciate them i really do so i'm not complaining with this 
but it's just an illustration of how they don't understand. They say, hey, man, we're having a barbecue at the house. If you guys are going to be in town, why don't y'all come by and, you know, eat a little bit and spend yes. a little time with us? It's like, you have no, uh, we have to go from this television station to this radio studio and then to another television station. Then we might go and deliver hats to children with cancer at the hospital. And then we got to get, we got to go load in a whole set and do sound and yeah. lighting and all these things and get ready. Some point in time, maybe, maybe lay down for 15 minutes in the hotel room and grab a bite to eat before we rush back and put on a show. Yeah. And then we've got to do a meet and greet. We've got to take pictures with people and then, and, and, and you know, talk to folks, spend time with people. Uh, you know, these are folks we don't know. So now we're introducing ourselves to people and making relationships with these people. That yeah. in and of itself is, is fun, but it's an effort. It's you taxing. have to you have to do those it's things emotionally and mentally taxing. And then you you do the show, and then afterwards you 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 know you're selling merchandise. You're doing these things. And I know people listen to this go, oh yeah, that sounds real hard. I <laughs> defy anybody within the sound of my voice right now to come take a trip with me. And you keep up with the schedule we keep on the road. Yeah. And if you tell me at the end of it you're not exhausted, I'll give you a crisp one hundred dollar bill. Absolutely, I'm telling you, I'll wear you out. I agree. They're not going to keep up with me at forty four years of age. They're, you're not going to keep up with me. Um, yeah, I feel the effects of it now. You know, there's certain things that start happening in your forties. Stuff starts falling apart. And no, I'm not old by any stretch, but I am getting older. Sure. And I'm eating those chicken sandwiches at Burger King too. And it was after, really good. Yeah, I know it's so good. It kind of makes me want one. <laughs> Where's my diet pill? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't gotten on that yet. I know. And con consequently, we, we're, you know, we're not, and, and con contrary to, you know, popular belief, we're not all doped up and stuff like that no. using drugs. We, we like chicken sandwiches from Burger King. So much. But uh, it's an exhausting schedule. Yeah. And, and if I get a chance to sleep late, man, I've given myself permission. I do it because I know if my, my eyes open up at 530 in the morning and they often do. I'm going to immediately grab my phone and I'm going to start going through social. I'm going to start responding to emails. And before I know it, two, three hours are gone. And I have done nothing but respond to stuff yeah. electronically. And that counts as work. And it, it really is. And, and that's what, that's where people go. Well, you're yeah. just, you're just on Facebook all day. You're, yeah. you're sitting in your car making a, making a video on your iPhone. Exactly. Like, how is that work? Well, Apparently, 50 million people are watching it. So that's like, well, if that's not effort and work, then what is? Well, the thing is, you know, I could post, you know, I, I wrestle with what to say on a lot of those videos because I could make one post and end it all. I mean, I could say one thing the wrong way Absolutely. and be misconstrued or misinterpreted or just be blatantly wrong on something and, and end a lot of that. So I have to be very careful with what I say. Look, I, I'll be the first, body, first person to admit, I don't know why anybody watches that stuff, but <laughs> they do. I mean, it's social commentary. It's observational humor. People enjoy it, and I, I wouldn't. It's because you're a good-looking guy. I guess that's, that's I don't, what it is. I don't know. It's the angles. I find you attractive. It's the angles. I'm glad this desk is between us yeah, because this thing could get be. wildly animalistic <laughs> and passionate. But uh, it's the red walls in the office here. I think they, yeah. they bring out the passion. But, um, you know, I think that uh, don't look too closely at the paint I'm job. I'm staring at the lion the, painting behind you. My lion painting? Yeah. That lion. I'll, be, I'll tell you about this lion painting. I like it. So I'll tell, you, I'll tell you the story. The reason, so I spent a lot of time in Africa. A lot of people don't know this about me. I spent a lot of time in my early 20s in Africa. And um, I, I worked a lot with a lot of different organizations. And, and lions, actually, I became fascinated with lions a long time ago and did actually did some dissertations on lions. And I won't bore you with all that information. But Thank you. Yeah. So... Uh, <laughs> But it's interesting because if you go to the Bible, not to get scriptural on you here, but it's, it's interesting. Music had such an impact on me early on. 
it, uh, you know, Jesus was referred to as the, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And the word Judah means praise, which is could be music, it could be, but it's a verbal expression of the heart sure. is what it is uh, that, that glorifies God. And so that lion, uh, that, that lion came to symbolize that expression of the heart for me. And so this lion picture has always been symbolic for me because, again, it is that expression of the heart, which kind of defines who I am as a person. You know, I've got a tattoo right here on my chest. It's uh, John 1.1, 1, 1, uh, NRK Ain Hologos in the Greek, and that's what it is. It's in the Greek. It says, in the beginning was the Word. And for me, the Word is everything. That's the spoken Word. It's that expression of the heart, whether it's spoken or sung. But this lion picture, back to that point, has been hanging in one of my offices now for about 20 years, wherever I've been. It's always kind of been right there with me. So it's a constant reminder that that expression of the heart is the thing that makes the difference. Um, you know, I knew a long, long time ago that I wanted to make a living using words. And uh, to the degree that I could use them being myself is what I wanted to do. And back to the point about having a real job, quote, real job. Uh, I have people all the time who say, well, don't you, what do you, I mean, why don't you go get a real job? What you're saying is, <laughs> why don't you go get a boss? Right. Somebody that dictates to you how your life ought to be lived. And I don't want to have that. No. I want to be, uh, I've got a wife. Okay. So that's she pretty, dictates a lot to close. me. Uh, what, you know, I've got a wife and a schedule. And, and I've and met a, her and, and she kids. is very assertive. <laughs> yeah, she is. She could be a little bit intimidating <laughs> actually. But uh, people are like, oh, sweet Jade, be good to Jade. She's such a precious girl. She supports you so much. Yeah. Jade will cut your throat. For yeah, real. Yeah, I mean, she's for real, dude. For I mean, she real. doesn't mess around. I put her in front. If, if we ever get a, attacked <laughs> by an angry mob, I'm putting her out front because she can knock them down with a stare. But, you know, I don't want to have a boss. And, and years ago, I called Jade on the phone one day, and I said, I, working in the corporate world depresses me. I'm sick of it. I'm tired of it. I've done this for a few years now, and I really want to go back to just making a living being myself. And she said, well, how are you going to do that? And I said, well, I think I know how. And I knew that I could use things like social media as an expression. For me, social media became a full-time job. Absolutely, and it is. Yeah, it and became it, a full-time job. And, and if you're going to do it correctly and utilize it to its full potential, it, it is a full-time job. Yeah. And you can create... There, uh, think about people who uh, socialites who are famous for being famous. It's because right. they got an Instagram account and they right. posted a bunch of pictures of their butt, yeah. and now um, two million people follow them. But yeah. then now people are posting them to put their purse in the background of this picture of your butt, and not you. I don't know. That well, you, I, I would I would put pictures out, of your butt. No, I don't. I, don't. You, I would put out well, a sex. That's state. an untapped market. That it is an untapped market. I, I hope my butt never gets tapped. But I tell you, <laughs> I I. Thought about putting out a sex tape. Thought maybe I could go the route of the Kardashians. My fear is no one would watch it. And Ray J turned me down. So well, he wasn't know, interested. He's picky. He is picky, apparently. So um, I uh, made a joke a couple of weeks ago. I said, um, um, oh, gosh, I'm going to mess the joke up. But uh, what's the... What's Bruce Jenner's wife's name? I, gosh, it just the mom, mom Jenner, whatever. I don't have any idea? You know, I the, try to keep them yeah. as far off my radar as possible. Yeah, I won't tell that joke. It's kind of bad. Yeah, I will. This is a uh, uh, we. Let me tell you something. I put the first podcast out I did with Johnny Cooper, yeah. with my great friend and everyone's great friend because the dude is amazing. And we were cussing a lot. Yeah, and uh, my I got text message from my mom. Yeah, and she said every other word out of your mouth. <laughs> is a cuss word and it was making Johnny cuss because he was because you were you're bad influence on Johnny I, Cooper I'm bad influence on a lot of people apparently so I've been trying to not I've, I know that I have a couple of times and I'm sorry mom because I know you're gonna listen to all yeah. of them 
Well, mom, I apologize ahead of time because Chad's I'm a, I'm a, a, I'm a Christian. I've already used the scripture and everything in here, so I'm trying to be a good influence on, go. on your son. And, Thank you. But Chris Jenner, Chris Jenner is her name, has made vagina so lucrative in that family that even <laughs> Bruce went out and got one. So, it's, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, they've <laughs> it's it's That's become not a lucrative deal. Far off from from being not funny at all. <laughs> exactly. Like that could either be hilarious or terrifying <laughs> at the same time, and I think it's both. I think it should be both. Yeah, depending welcome. on where you come from. Welcome to modern America, folks. Yeah, it's horrifying. We were, you, you mentioned earlier uh, being in a cubicle or not being in a cubicle, being in a corporate in the corporate world yeah. was depressing, and I agree with that. And I think that there's no other option for that. Human beings, we aren't built for that. We're not. We're not built for the sidewalk. I don't think men especially are. I think no. I think men are. You know, uh, John Eldridge coined that a long time ago in a book of being wild at heart. You know, I think I think we are. I think we're made to. To explore and to create yeah. and to kind of get into uncharted territory. I think we're made to go out and find new roads and do things. That's why, you know, you drive a Jeep, I drive a truck. I mean, we want to, we want that idea that we can get off the road at any given time and yeah. go someplace Absolutely. and just get out there, man. Be one with nature, lay under the stars and, you know, grunt like monkeys and pigs. I don't know, but. I've been working on my grunt language. Have you? It's very, very beginning stages, but yeah. it's coming along. <laughs> Well, I, you know, it, it's funny because there's been an all-out war on, you know, masculinity and things like that. But but there's a war on creativity, too. Everybody wants you to fit in their cookie-cutter mold of how they think your life ought to be lived. And I, you said something to it earlier. When somebody tells you to do something a certain way, you go the exact opposite. Right. I am so anti-control. You You can't control me. And I've lived in certain situations in my life where I felt like I was a dog cornered. Yeah. And I couldn't get out. And it, it makes the fight in me come out at that point. And some of those things have become the catalyst for some of my most creative moments and the things that I've done in life. Some of my most successful things have happened because I just said I'm not living in man's cubicle sure. anymore. And I, you know, whether it's professionally or personally, spiritually, uh, you know, mentally, emotionally, create, creatively, I, I'm not going to live in those four walls. I can't do it. And I spend every day writing. I spend every day thinking um, about how do we, you know, how do I express myself in a new way? Uh, we're constantly, you take the comedy show, we're thinking, of, we, we did 35 shows this year, and every one of them were were if not sold out or oversold, they were ninety percent sold. Yeah. So congratulations. You know, That's thank you. Really I mean, awesome. We we started with this idea last year. Uh, Cowboy Bill Martin. You know, he's a veteran comic. He's been doing this thing for over twenty years, and he's a funny guy. And he just had the idea. What if we toured together? And I said, Well, you know, I've never necessarily done stand up comedy, although I enjoy it, and I kind of have been a student of it. And I know how to be on stage, and I know how to entertain, and I know how to be funny. And, and you tell are a, story. a very quick-witted and eloquently worded person. <laughs> well, you really are. Well, I take that as a compliment because and that's you should, what I've worked. That's how I mean it. Well, Every, and that's what I've worked years to be. As long you know? as I've known you, I've always, I've always felt that about. I, I, I enjoy being around you because of that. Yeah. Because I like to, I like to as much as I can further my own education and just in knowledge in life and I like to be around people who I feel do that and I feel that way when I hang out with you whether we're at the bar or right now yeah I feel like you and I can hash out a lot of stuff yeah and solve a lot of the world's problems yeah. if they just listen to if us. they only well that's why we're making that, podcasts that's now. why you're doing uh, slightly chewed someone is going to listen yeah 
Guaranteed. Someone. Somebody. My mom is going to listen. Mom's listening. One, and you know what? One. She's going to she's gonna be a good critic. And, and you know what? She's going to make sure this thing she is successful is a good in critic. this whole deal. My mom is not one of those uh, uh, clap at everything that I do type of people. No. She my, tells me when I'm being stupid and when I... My, my mom, okay, let me tell you about my mom. She's from <laughs> L.A., She's she's an amazing woman, top to bottom. I, I love her to death. I, I mean that. And and she uh, is from L.A. and grew up in L.A. in Lancaster. Uh, I think that's north of L.A., mm-hmm. south of L.A., an hour, hour outside of L.A. And she has uh, two sisters who are all three of them were English majors. Uh, one of her sisters was a college English professor. The other one taught high school English. My mom went on to become a speech pathologist and uh, has multiple graduate degrees. She's got like nine letters after her name. Wow. And they all have to do with speaking and language. She, she used to teach at uh, teach speech pathology at TWU up in Denton. She's, a, she's a, uh, an incredible, incredibly smart uh, and very opinionated woman. And so I grew up with that. And like we were talking about before we got on, uh, before we went live, uh, I grew up on a, a quarter horse ranch mm-hmm. as a child. And... Um, my sister and I uh, are from the same parents. I have two half brothers as well from my dad's first marriage. And she, my mother decided, I, she told me this, I don't know if she remembers telling me this, but she told me this uh, at a very, when I was very young and my sister was very young, that she was not going to allow us to sound like we came from a horse ranch. Right. And we grew up, I mean, we were out in the country and in the middle of nowhere, acres, acres of land. And she was going to keep, because she didn't talk like that. She's from L.A. And so she was going to keep us from sounding like that. So I will go, and she did a great job, because she's really good at what she does. And I will go on tour to Chicago mm-hmm. or somewhere. And I'll say, oh, yeah, I'm from, I'm from Fort Worth, Texas. And they'll go, but where are you from? And I'll say, I was born and raised in DFW. And they'll go, right, but like, that's where you're from? Right. Like, and I, like, they thought I was from up there or from anywhere else. And I, I appreciate that to a point. So anyway, so that all being said, my mom is is very critical of the way that I speak. Yeah. And when I say, when I swear too much, she really doesn't like that. She's, she's the one that when I was uh, in my early 20s playing shows, I would cuss on stage for the sake of doing it because I thought I was cool. And she would go, yeah. she would, from the stage, she would just put her hand on her head and just go, you got to <laughs> stop doing that. You're just cussing too much. It's just not, it's not appropriate. It's, people don't want to hear that. Well, you know, my mother... To that point, my mother used to say that her big thing was, she said, well, people, people that use profanity are showing signs of ignorance because they don't have another word that they can put in its place in order to sure. express themselves. Now, me personally, um, I, I, I don't use, prof- I try not to use profanity, you know, on the public stuff that I do, whether it's on social media, uh, on stage. We use very, me personally, if I'm on stage, whether it's doing comedy or whatever, and I have a, a joke that requires that for a laugh, Sure. That is very strategically placed. Yeah. You know, I will do that, uh, but it's very strategic. Now, there's a lot of people out there who have misconstrued me and misunderstood me because I do a lot of stuff online that's motivational and inspirational, and they kind of want to make me out to be a preacher. I'm not a preacher. Sure. I'm not working for any church. I'm not trying to convert anybody to anything. Uh, I just believe there's certain principles in life that work, and those things tend to be uh, maybe biblically based or, or, you know, faith based or things like that. Uh, But, you know, us sitting around having a conversation, if I'm, if I'm sitting there drinking a, a TX whiskey on the rocks, which I do on a regular basis, and, and you're sitting there, we're, we're in, you know, you just finished a show or whatever, I can use some pretty colorful language. Sure. Now, it's not distasteful. It's not, it's not 
cussing for the sake of cussing. No. But, but it's, you know, sometimes it peppers the language in such a way that you get a point across a certain way. Sure. And I know that's offensive to certain people, and you try to choose your audiences and things like that. But, you know, we've all gone through our freight phases like that, and I think we've all disappointed our moms at some point in time with whether we, how we've behaved or the things we've said or the things we've done. I mean, you know. My mom, my mom will tell me if I'm saying, if I'm using placeholders too much. Yeah. If I'm, if I'm, uh,ing too much, yeah. she'll, she'll, that's the first thing. Yeah. Just, you sound like when I do an interview, when I do radio or TV interview or something like that about, about the shows or music that my mom will watch it and she'll either go, you were very well spoken. You, you sounded good. You sounded like you knew what you were talking about and you were very eloquent in your, in your right. word choice. Or she'll go like, were you tired? You you were saying uh like you didn't like you didn't know the question she was gonna ask you like what was what was the deal like what happened with that one and it's it's like all right mom like okay I get it I was back it up a little bit yeah ease up mom gosh jeez mom oh, mom we hear it loud but she and clear. does it from the, she does it from the place where she doesn't want me to sound like an idiot yeah and I and I appreciate that and it makes me think about it and I'll go back and watch it and I'll go okay what was I thinking when I said when that five seconds where I stuttered and said uh. What right. was I thinking about and why? Why did I, why did I get to that point? Well, I think that, in, in first of all, it's pretty safe to say that nobody's ever going to listen to you say anything and think that you're an idiot. So we're, mom, kudos to you, successful, nice. uh, su- successful language raising of Chris Watson. Good job. Uh, rearing. You brought him up right to do that. You know, I was on television for the first time when I was two years old. I used to listen to a Bible story record, and I would – I would remember and rehearse those Bible stories all the time and, you know, all the way down to the sound effects and the, you know, so first time I was on television, they had me come on and recite this Bible story record uh, of David and Goliath. And so they had me on TV. I was two years old and I did this thing all the way to the little trumpet sounds of the, you know, the whole thing. (laughs) And so throughout my childhood, I was on stage somewhere and all these things, and I thought I was a pretty good public speaker. When I was in high school, uh, the academic decathlon teams used to put me on the team every year, not because I was good at science or math or anything like that, but because I could go out and give a really good speech, and I won gold medal every time I would speak, Yeah, both in the writing and the essay and the, and the speech. So I'd win these gold medals, and so they'd put me on the team, and I was just added on. And then I thought, well, I'm really, really good. And then I heard myself recorded giving a talk when I was 19 years old. I was on stage. I spoke for 45 minutes. Somebody gave me the cassette tape and I listened to that thing and I said, I'm never talking in front of people (laughs) ever again. Because being from the deep south, being from Georgia, we dropped the R's. And we said, you know, my grandmother, she went and visited Hawaii. And so for the rest of her life, we had to listen to her talk about her visit to Hawaii. <laughs> you know, so yeah. that there was we Washington, it, yeah, it, and you know you got a wash rag and things like that, and <laughs> yeah. it's it's just we would drop our R's and you know kind of that antebellum South. My mother has that antebellum Southern, you know, plantation speak, so to speak, yeah. I, and, and it's uh, I said I have got to change that. So you mentioned L.A. I almost moved to L.A. in two thousand, and it was going to be for a job. I was, was going to be you know communicating publicly on a regular basis and. Um, that was the job actually. And I told him, I said, well, I got to really work on dropping this Southern accent. I've worked hard on it. I didn't, I never wanted to drop it. I wanted to mute it. Yeah. It's so make it a little more universal, yeah, a little bit, it, but I, I always wanted to keep it cause I felt like some of it was a little charming, you know? Sure. So they said, they said, if you drop any more of your Southern accent, we don't want you. 
to yeah. move to California because we know if you come out here and you're working with us in LA, people are going to fall in love with that accent. Yeah. And we, it's just like Australians coming over here and the girls swoon. It's the same deal if you go to Australia. Australian women swoon over our yeah. accent. They want to go? Fall in, yeah, absolutely. I'm booking flights now. Let's go. I'm, <laughs> let me get on. Uh, <laughs> let's see if we can get on Priceline and find something cheap. Um, hold my ring, mama. I'll be home in seven days. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So I, I, you know, now I try to listen to myself recorded, things like that. I put it on social media. Uh, I'll listen back to it once to make sure that it came out okay and my lips match up with the words that are coming out because sometimes when you download something, it doesn't come out right. Yep. And after that, I really try not to go back and, and listen to it again because I don't want to hear myself like, no. in that capacity. How often do you listen to your own CD? Never. Yeah. Unless I'm doing it for some sort of reference. Right. You're going I hate, back to it. I hate the sound of my own voice. Even listening to it right now through these headphones, I, I can't stand the sound of my You're way louder in my ears well, to me. Well, I, I, you have a good speaking voice. You obviously have a good singing voice. And I've come to a point where I've had to work on mine to, to, to get to where I can tolerate it. And I don't think anybody likes the sound of their own recorded voice no. because they think, I don't sound like it that. It doesn't sound the same when it's resonating in your head, in your head. as it does coming from yeah. in front of you. That's science for sure. Yeah. That's bro science. I watched a YouTube <laughs> video about it. And now I'm yeah. reciting it as fact. Yeah. But that's but but that's that, that's that a real is bro science. But that is a, accurate bro science. Yeah, but I feel good about that. I said it. I thought about it, and then I said it. At least I thought about it before I said it. Yeah. And when you listen back to it, you're going to agree with it all over again. Yeah, You'll probably I give haven't. yourself a hearty hearty resounding amen. I listened to the first two minutes and the last two minutes of the podcast I did with Johnny just to make sure the levels were good, and then we did it. We it was an hour and forty five minute podcast, and I listened to four minutes of it. Did, so did I Johnny remember. Cooper use this microphone? Because I feel like greatness is still on. It's like the anointing. It's like the anointing is on this microphone. Yeah. It's yeah. good for everybody It's now. almost like I'm kissing Johnny Cooper, and that ain't a bad thing. No. I love no. curly-headed men. That's <laughs> That can be a thing if you need it to be. <laughs> I, You know, Johnny, if you're listening. What a great talent Johnny is, though. He's so good. I, I mean, he's ridiculously good. I have become friends with him in, within the last year and a half or so. Yeah. And he and I have become great friends because he and I stylistically are very similar. Yeah. And we mesh. We write together a lot. Uh, there's one or two songs on his upcoming record that he's about to record that, that we co-wrote. A lot of songs that I do on my newer stuff that he helped me finish. And uh, he and I just, we, we understand each other musically. Yeah. He's got, you know, we, we try to get together once a week if we right. can. But he's got a, a list of songs that he'll come up with. And it, he'll think in his head, he tells me this, I wrote this one and then. He has co-writes with other people all the time. He goes, I'm saving this one for, for Watson. Right. Because that's great. That's like, we'll make this one what it needs to be. Well, the thing be. about Johnny is, and I don't know Johnny that well, but if I see him, I say hello and we speak and, and things like that. And uh, I've admired him from afar. And then I've had the you know privilege of being able to get to know him a little bit. But he's a classy guy. Absolutely. And he, he, he knows his business. He knows his talent. He mm -hmm. knows his skill level. And he's a nice guy. He hasn't been lost in all of that stuff. And he's, you know, he's been... Again, a guy that's brought up right and done it right Absolutely. continues to do it. So I, I love it when those connections are made, like yourself and, and him and, and these kind of guys come together because it just makes the world a better place, really. Absolutely. And it pushes he and I individually because we know we're going to get together. And yeah. I know that I'm not going to bring some weak crap that I try. You know what I mean? I'm going right. to work it out to a good concept. It, it's, I, I assume, I've never tried stand-up comedy because that's absolutely horrifying to me. <laughs> I've always wanted to secretly because I've been obsessed with it since I was a kid. But yeah. I, the idea of getting on a stage without an instrument yeah. or a band is absolutely mortifying to me. Well, there's something there's something about a crowd response for me. 
I, I've always been a stage right, but guy. what if they don't respond? Um, then yeah, you, that's a trick right that there. That's, is, that's where else. I get off board. And, and it takes a lot of work to get to that point where you can say, hey, you know what? I want to guarantee a response on this. And so I, I'll admit I've always been a stage guy in that, uh, you know, historically I was either doing motivational speaking or training of some kind. I got the reputation a long time ago with these organizations and these companies of here's the guy that you bring in if you want to make a point, but you want to get your people to laugh. Yeah, and so that's a really solid thing it, to put well, on your business card. Well, it was a great thing because for me, it was I wasn't I knew I wasn't boring. Yeah, and I knew that people you're definitely were gonna, not. People were going to hear it and they were going to respond to it, and I was going to get the laugh. And and I, then I got to the point where I started you know really pushing for the laughs and trying to go find them. And so I kind of always knew that. I could use wit, which is different from comedy or, or something like that, but I could use, you know, wittiness to get that response that I wanted. And I, I've, I've never been intimidated by the crowd. I've never had stage fright. Right. I don't know what that is. And so thankfully I don't because I can't imagine having this desire to want to do stuff and yet you're struggling with stage fright because a lot of artists do that. Absolutely. You know, they, it's like, I want to do this. I want to be in front of these people. I want to perform, but I don't know how to be in front of people. Yeah. Um, Major artists it scares me. I know people big time. who sell out arenas still throw up in a bucket right before yeah. they go on stage. I've never had that. I walk on stage. I have I have only a healthy nervousness of okay now I've got to go out and deliver this. Yeah, but I've never had a oh my god shaking moment. I'm you know the other the other day I was responding to a text message and all of a sudden I heard the announcement that we're starting this show and welcome to the stage. Right. And I was like oh crap. So I took my, I took my iPhone tossed it on the table and went jogging down the 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 runway there and came out behind the curtains and yeah. walked through. I, I just walked out on stage. So I don't think about things like that and I'm I'm thankful that I'm that way. But You're lucky because I I get that way only if I'm speaking. Yeah. Uh, when I'm on playing music, I don't get that way. Yeah. I've I've been on a lot of big stages in front of tens of thousands of people and I don't yeah. think like that because I'm confident in what I'm doing. And maybe yeah. that has more to do with it. I don't have a public speaking background, but I do have an on stage on large platform background. Right. So that doesn't bother me if I'm doing a thing. Yeah, and I know what I'm gonna do. And once this first song kicks off, it's autopilot from yeah, there. Yeah, you're doing it. But getting on stage and and being a comedian, I would have to be. I would have to work on two minutes of my act for two years before I would feel comfortable that anybody would think it was funny. Yeah, and then even then, I have a really weird sense of humor. So well, I don't know if people would respond I, well. The brand of comedy that I try to bring to the audience is not necessarily the brand of comedy that I would pay money to go see myself. Right. Um, my brand of comedy is, uh, it's quite honestly, it's cleaner than, than what I laugh at. I, I like some of these guys that get a little bit edgy and raw yeah. and a little bit blue. I, I enjoy that. Um, you know, and it's a different demographic. It's, it's, it's a that different targeting. It's a different deal. Um, but you know, we're looking at folks that, that want to come out and bring, you know, the husband and wives come out on a date night and they're not looking for shock comedy right. when they come to us. They're looking for a couple of guys who've been married, who have five kids each. I have five kids. Bill's got five kids. And we're able to tell stories about family, but from an adult perspective. And those people can relate. Because for me, I see myself, I'm trying to make myself, I try to model myself kind of a modern-day modern Will Rogers. So Will Rogers, um, you know, in the early 1900s, here's a guy who looks at, 
politics and he looks at the world and he looks at situations and he looks at celebrity and he looks at life and he just pokes fun at it. Yeah. And he just lets that observational humor come out because he talks about subjects that affect everybody. Right. So historically, I've tried to pick something that everybody can relate to. So I've put videos out there about people's nasty feet that they don't take care of, but yet they don't <laughs> right. mind wearing flip-flops and sandals right. and showing you them off to the rest are. of the world. You know who you are. Your feet are nasty <laughs> and you need to clip your to- just clip your toenails, take the rest of the paint off and start over. And then you have... <laughs> You know, people walking down the street and they don't have the sense to pull their pants all the way up to their waist. Or, you know, these moms at Little League that are ready to commit absolute criminal acts against an umpire who called little Johnny out at third base. Other parents fighting in the stands. It's horrible. But everybody's seen these things. Everybody's seen it. Um, You're not rubbing anybody the wrong way with this comedy. Trying not to. And a lot of mine is self-effacing in the sense that I make fun of myself. You know, I tell a story on stage all the time uh, about... The time Jade scheduled me to go get a colonoscopy, and I didn't want to go get a colonoscopy, <laughs> but we both have a health condition that requires that we do that regu- on a regular basis and some of the things that happen. And anybody of a certain age um, has had to go get that medical procedure done, and it's not an enjoyable thing, and they've all gone through a lot of the same different stuff. So I try to pick those topics out that are, that are universal, and I've always seen myself as a storyteller. I used to sit around. I used to go to these things i've got you know these guys they'd like to go out on you know go hunting with all these men and at night everybody'd sit around the fireplace and these older guys would start telling these stories about things that happened in life and so from an early age i started i started catching the nuances of a successful story being told what made it funny what made it intriguing what made it interesting what made the person what did you use to hold on to the next sentence like i'm ready to hear how this story turns out so i became a student of story and then I said, well, it's not enough to identify a good story. You've got to be able to tell a good story. So then I started working on the intricacies of how you put words together, what works with a turn of phrase. Uh, I started reading poetry. Not that I'm a huge fan of poetry, but I knew that as a discipline, uh, yeah. reading poetry was a way to see how guys used words to create emotion. Yeah. And quality so over quantity. It really definitely. was. And so, I mean, I can sit here today and quote all of this poetry to you that, that means something to me simply because I, it was something that impacted me. And I was like, wow, that touches you in the soul. And, and it, it's amazing that words have the ability to do that. Yeah. And, the, and the, you know, you're back to music on that. I mean, that, the, that music is, is that ability to bring somebody's soul to the surface. And so... The spoken word and, and the sung word and, you know, the, the written word is such a powerful force. People have been assassinated over it. Absolutely. Uh, wars have been fought over it. Countries in, in, in the path of destiny and history have been changed because of spoken words. And so how you handle words is a, is a very big thing. So I have this theory about social media these days. Historically speaking, the only people whose words were held on to for posterity and for the purpose of creating history were your dignitaries and your politicians, your kings, your royalty, uh, your, you know, these history makers. You held on to their words. And then as we got into the 20th century, your celebrities and things like that. But now with social media, everybody's got a freaking voice. Yeah. Everybody's got the platform to say something. But I don't believe that everybody has the responsibility to handle having that type of a voice. No. And so people say a lot of things that they really haven't thought through. They say a lot of things that they really probably don't mean. They say a lot of things that are, are intentionally or unintentionally taken 
uh, critically or offensively or something like that. But yet, back to our earlier conversation, people say a lot of things that they don't need to be saying. But yeah. unfortunately, they have the ability to say them with social media these days. So now everybody has a voice. The world is kind of being shaped and formed by this uh, courtroom of popular and public opinion, whether it's right or wrong. Yeah. And people don't know how to deal with it. I think a lot of that also becomes such an issue when when people are spouting off their opinions and they're unchecked. Yeah. Because you can control if someone if someone makes a comment on one of your posts and then you don't like it, you can delete it. Right. You probably don't. I do it only. I do it very rarely. It has to only be very bad. If it's something that's extremely inflammatory, yeah. I'll, I'll delete it. I rarely do it. Yeah. I, I welcome all any and all criticisms uh, of my of my art. Uh, but when when people when people have formulate a thought and it's it could be so completely outlandish and, and blatantly wrong. They can post it on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and they can do it immediately. Yeah. And they're completely unchecked. And if you try to argue with them, they hold the higher ground in that they can delete all of the comments right. that are disputing everything they said and leave the ones that, that are agreeing with them. So it looks like everyone's agreeing with them. Yeah. Like that's it's such a weird that's that's to me is one of the weirdest aspects of everyone having a voice. I don't necessarily think that everyone really needs to have a voice, but you can't vet people for Facebook and there's no point right. in that. And that's not what I think needs to happen. But I, I people, there's people a, there's a huge think. amount of misinformation that's it, out there. Well, people, it's not even misinformation. It's, it's people who just, who it isn't misinformation. And yeah. I'm not saying that, but it's people who don't care that it's misinformation. Right. They don't bother to, they find, they see this statistic that they saw on BuzzFeed right. and then they make their own version of exactly. the headline. They didn't even read the article. Yeah. They read the headline and then misquote the headline in their Facebook page. Exactly. And then anyone that argues with them is, oh, well, I read it on the internet. People don't just go on the internet and tell lies. Yeah. It's, it's just, that kind of stuff <laughs> bothers me. Like, I don't well, know. that's the thing. It's a reaction. It's, like I said, it's a reaction to misinformation. Weird, they see something. They, they see something. It's written like truth, and they're like, "Oh, well, I'm going to formulate opinion off of that." The problem is, we live in a day and age, and this has happened now. Gosh, for probably a hundred years, this has been just a, an evolution of the way people's process works. And that is, we have a generation of learners, but we don't have a generation of thinkers. And, and people don't want to think because thinking is uncomfortable. People don't want to, and that's another reason why I say, hey, follow, follow guys like you and me around. Create with us for a little while, and you're going to see that this is exhausting work. Yeah. It really is. A lot of it isn't, doesn't work out. Right. The stuff, what you get, my, the songs that end up on my record are five out of 50 that I wrote. Yeah. I, I did a, you know, I was talking with a television network. I, I do television stuff uh, pretty often. I'm not doing as much as I used to, and. I hope that's going to change because we're now talking, you know, I talk with different networks that have different projects. But what I've learned about television is 90% of the stuff and ideas that you think about and, and they come up with, these production companies come up with, 90% of it never sees the light of day. No. Not in the world of television because ideas are coming at, at just mass speeds. I mean, you're getting terabytes of information thrown yeah. at people all the time and it just does not ever see the light yeah. of day. And that's, and that's the way it is in anything that has to do with the creative world. Um, I, I have, I am sitting here, I could open up my phone, I could open up a notebook, I have page after page of notes mm -hmm. that when I'm writing it, I'm like, oh, this is going to be good. This is going to be great, man. Yeah. People are going to love this. They're going to eat this up. And then I'll go back and read it. And I was like, man, you sound like a dick. <laughs> yeah. This is, I, I have voice memos in my phone. 
I get most most creative when I'm driving, and yeah. I and I drive in silence most of the time, and so lyrics or melodies pop into my head, and I'll sing them very poorly yeah. into the voice memos of my phone. I have hundreds of eight second long voice memos. And it's the same thing. And I'll go, this is the best idea I've had in years. And yeah. then I'll get home and I'll go, okay, let me get my guitar. My like, all right, I'm going to hash this out. And I'll listen to it. And I go, what the hell was I trying to do? Right. I have one and I saved it only because it's so horrible. And I, I, I remember being in the moment and thinking, this is phenomenal. Yeah. This concept, this drum beat or this thing, this melody is so good. So good. I have to record it. And I recorded it and I got home that night. And I, to this day, I've listened to it a thousand times and I genuinely don't know what I was trying to do. Yeah. Not a clue, not even a clue. I, and I keep it for that because I go back to it and I go, okay, maybe I'm not in the right state of mind. I can't find the beat of this thing. Right. It doesn't make any sense. None of it makes sense. And it drives me crazy that I, it, I remember being in the car going, this is, this is the title track on my next record, whatever this becomes. <laughs> it was so good. And then I now I have no clue what I was trying to do. I do it all the time. Now, now you when you're driving, it's me when I'm drinking. It, 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 if I have a few drinks, now I'm then I get in my. I'm like, oh, that's the funniest thought. Or I'll have a conversation with somebody. Yeah. I'm like, I got to turn that into a comedy bit because that is so funny. Or, or a one liner or something that I'll put on social media. Or maybe I'll do a rant about that one day. And I pull out my little notepad on my phone and I'll type in a few words. And I was like, there's no way I'll forget this. Right. Because I'll know exactly the way I felt, the intent that I had, yeah. the emotion that was behind it. Yeah. The inflection of the voice when I said it and I read it the next day and it's like, I have no clue what this was about. I mean, yeah, I remember the story, but why in the world do I even think that was funny to begin with? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I think that a lot. I'm not a very good storyteller. I, uh, I'm, I'm better at doing what we're doing, just stream of consciousness. I'm not very good because I, I have a thousand thoughts going on in my head at, the, at once and it would take me a long time to formulate a bit and then I just have to memorize it and recite it. I'm yeah. not one of those people that I couldn't do improv comedy or anything yeah. like that. And I think that's one of the, that's a big difference between what you and I do is that you are, you, you are the package. It's just you. True, true. It's your, it's your. Chad, the package. Chad, yeah. Put that on your next business card <laughs> along with whatever we said earlier. <laughs> But that you like, it's just you on the up there. It's your appearance. It's the clothes you're wearing. It's your inflection in your voice that you've, that you've obviously worked on. It's, it's every, it's your stories. It's the way you tell them. You learn how to tell stories. I never learned how to do that. I wasn't really, I wasn't uh, sub subjected to that as a kid. I was subjected to music. Well, and you're telling a story. You're just telling through you a different are, vehicle. But I have so much, and I'm sure you spend countless amounts of hours on your, on your work and your bits. I'm not saying that, but sure. I, everything that I end up that ends up lyrically in the songs is very calculated mm -hmm. and it's very, there's no, there's not a lot of room. Once it's finalized, there's not a lot of room for evolution right. in that. Right. And I, and I take a lot of solace in that, in that if I have enough time to, to formulate uh, a stream of consciousness that turns into lyrics. I free write a lot. I have, I have notebooks where I'll sit down and do like what we're doing, but it's just me by myself and whatever stream of consciousness thoughts I'm having, I just write them down and I force myself to fill up a front and back, just one page right. front and back. And then I'll go back and I'll read them and I'll, I'll have this thing, this one line. That's a cool idea. This is a cool concept. And most of it's garbage, but that I would never let someone read it. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. I would never get on stage and just oh, yeah. try to do that. That's like going on stage naked. Exactly. And it's, that's what's so scary Nobody to me, but I can get up, that. I can get up with my band. No, no, I can get up with my band and I, we've rehearsed music and there's a lot of, of evolution in, in my music because I, we're very improv based as a band, but 
I would never get up there. Like I, I, I follow a lot of stand-up comedians on, on social media and their podcasts and, right. and things like that. And I hear the way that a lot of them think. And a lot of them will say, the, the veteran comedians, they've been doing it for 30 years. They'll say, well, I, you know, I, I'll have this idea and I'll get up on stage and I'll just, I'll hash it out. I'll spend a couple of nights at the small little improvs in front of 20 people with this idea and I'll hash it out and then it'll become a bit. Right. And I'll go, I would never just do that with a guitar. Yeah, that's, and a lot of the great comics do that. I mean, you know, I know that. Um, that's such a gift. Yeah, well, a lot it's of guys such a like, gift. you know, we were recently, uh, my friend Steve uh, Mudflap McGrew, he's a great comic. That guy. is a phenomenal nickname. I know, isn't it great? And he's a funny guy. Well, I saw him, I saw him uh, last weekend. I saw him Mudflap. Thursday night at the Hyenas Comedy Club here in Fort Worth. And he's toured with us some and done some, well, he and I have done a bunch of things together and going to do a lot more and uh he's just one of the funniest guys in the world i mean he goes all the way back he won star search back oh, when wow. you know the ed mcmahon thing and he's just reinvented himself over and over again but he's based out of denver now and he was telling me that recently we were talking about dave Chappelle. you know Chappelle had the Chappelle show and he was doing all these things in top of the world and then he kind of vanished and disappeared mm-hmm. yeah he's living in denver and he'll just pop up at the comedy works uh comedy club over there in denver and just say i want to try some stuff out yeah and those guys it's amazing to me i'm not at a point where now again give me a few shots of whiskey and turn me loose <laughs> when, right. I, when i've already kind of thinking about a couple of things and maybe i can do that but they say that for a comic to really find his voice it takes more than a decade to yeah. really find you I take a guy that. like ron white Ron White, hugely successful through the Blue Collar Comedy Tour and then successful in his own right. I mean, he had quit comedy, basically. He was really? living between Texas and Mexico, and he was done after 28 years of doing comedy. He was like, I, you know, I'm not going anywhere with this thing. Hmm. So he was just kind of vegged out on it. And then Jeff Foxworthy said, hey, man, we're going to do this thing. Come on, do it with us. And, and all of a sudden, you can go back and listen to his comedy CDs from, gosh, way back. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is the same bits that he tells today. Mm-hmm. He just tells him in his voice now. Right. And, and back he then he was, he was struggling to find yeah. that balance of it. I think it's that way musically. It's that way on any, any level. Creative. There's a lot of that musically. Yeah. I, I definitely have experienced that personally. And, and with artists that I like that have been around for 20 or 30 years, you catch their first couple of records and you go, I get what you're, where you're headed, but yeah. only because I know where you're headed. Well, I mean, not everybody can find it quick like Luke Bryan and just rhyme everything with a truck. <laughs> I mean, you know, so just, many words rhyme just, with truck. And sometimes they're and not even the good ones. And exactly. And sometimes they'll just rhyme like up, 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 up. And it rhymes. It does. You know, and they just, it just it end it. every line in the song with up. Yeah. Truck, Sorry, Luke, truck but, rhymes with truck. Yeah. Perfectly. Truck. <laughs> it really does. Say, so, I don't know if you knew that, but it really does. It really does. Every time. Every no matter how you single say it. time. So those guys, they found their voice a little bit quicker than the rest of us, I guess. But well, I don't know that they found it or somebody found it for them. In in, so, yeah. uh, in 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 positions like that, you're you're told what's aware. You're told what songs to sing. Right. You didn't write any of those songs, right? You know, I I don't know. You know why I, Luke wears those tight pants the way he does? Kind of, they're not jeans. They're kind of the sparkly because he has no butt. If he wore jeans like me and you, everybody'd make fun of him. Like he has Hank no Hill. butt, and, and it, yeah, exactly. So, they, <laughs> so I mean, they've they've kind of created this image of him. So he's got to wear you know polyester spandex pants because well, he, he has no butt. He's he's yeah. no butt all the way to the bank. Yeah, all the way to the bank. And my buddy, uh, uh, I say he's my buddy. We grew up together and, and played baseball with each other in Augusta, Georgia, our hometown. His name is Ben Hayslip. He, he's part of a, a, a trio group called the the Peach Pickers. You mm-hmm. know, group out of Georgia. And, 
Uh, I can remember That's when he was a very Georgia band. Yeah, name. Very much so. It's, but these guys, you know, I can remember Ben when he was in high school. We'd be sitting on a in a dugout, you know, playing baseball, and he'd say, "Man, as soon as I'm out of here, I'm grabbing my guitar, moving to Nashville." And now Ben, you know, he writes three number one hits, hit songs, number one songs a year. You know, I mean, that's virtually unheard of. I mean, he puts, he's constantly putting them up there. But he found that formula. Now yeah. I'm like, I oh, mean, I wish you'd have found a, maybe a better formula that was a little more appealing to my ears. But yeah. hey, again, you put, you know, you're writing songs for Blake Shelton and Luke Bryan and these guys, sure. and you're putting them out there, and they're going to number one. He's not. He really doesn't care about my opinion. Probably so, not. No, I just. Throw a dog a bone. He'd be making less money if he cared about your opinion. You got that right. (laughs) (laughs) If he if he didn't do that, you got that right. Something else. There's a reason why I'm here and he's there. Yeah, I get that sometimes from from younger musicians, and they go, "Well, what do you think about what I'm doing?" And I go, "Well, who am I to give you any advice?" Yeah. Like we're playing the same gig. Like what makes you just cause I've been around for longer. That doesn't. First of all, what are you trying to say? I'm not that. I'm only thirty. I'm not that old. Second of all. We're doing the same gig, you know, and I don't know. I I try to take advice from people, but I don't ever ask for it unless yeah. I it's somebody that I genuinely think can give me positive advice. Yeah. But everybody's got advice, especially drunk people at the bar they who don't play music. You. They love to tell you. I listen for wisdom everywhere. You know, I, I try to what, the hardest lesson that I learned, especially in my 20s, early 30s. This was something that my dad told me a long time ago. He said, you know, you might have to dig through a lot of crap in a, inside the oyster, but you might find a pearl. Yeah. And I said, you know, he said, he said, just learn, because I used to complain. I used to hate being told what to do, and there's a big part of me that still hates that, but I've gotten better at it. It's, it's amazing. As I've gotten older, I've learned things like patience. Uh, one day you just wake up and you're like, you know, I'm not so anxious anymore. I'm not so. I'm still waiting I, on that. I can still listen to people without getting offended and, and I can take it, you know. And But I've learned to just try to listen, not for the advice, but for the wisdom. And a lot of times people will give you wisdom even when they're not trying to. And that's, that's, that is a quality that's hard to develop. Yeah, well, I think those people are not. They're not the ones that are offering up unsolicited advice because yeah. they think you need it. Oh, I, that is a whole other deal. That's a pet peeve of mine where everybody feels like they have uh, this ability to dictate to you how you need to be. Especially, I imagine, for someone on the platform that you are on yeah, and, 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 a, and a mass consumption platform that people are probably like, hey, you know what? this would be better and you're like okay well what do you do for a living yeah. well i work at a bank well then how do you yeah. how do you know what's going to make my bit better i have folks every day who send me messages private messages on social media complete and total strangers and they say we really wish you would talk about this subject well there's probably 15 reasons why i don't talk about that subject sure. and i'm not going to take the time to explain it all to you because i'm sure that subject is very is something that's very passionate to you but it's not universally uh, interesting or intriguing sure. to me, and, and I don't see where the majority of people are going to, you know. Uh, and, and but they so don't get that. They because, don't get it. Because they're blinded by the fact that, well, this it's, is the most important thing that yeah. I've ever thought about. Yeah. So how could you not believe it's the same right. thing? And I catch that from people all the time, and then they get mad. Oh, well, I guess you thought my opinion didn't matter. No, it matters. That's exactly what I thought. <laughs> it, 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 <laughs> Sorry. I mean, it, it matters, <laughs> just not to me. Yeah, so you were kind of right. So, yeah, it, you know, and that's, again, people, everybody has a voice. and um, That happened, something similar to that happened. Uh, I was playing Sunday. I, I play with uh, Zach Wilkerson right now. I'm playing keyboards mm-hmm. for him. And we played at Green Hall on uh, Sunday. How do you and like playing at Green? It's 
interesting. It is an interesting place. It would be. It's really, really not fun in the summertime, right? Because there's no AC in no there. No AC there. But on Sunday afternoon, it was like 65 degrees, and yeah. it was really nice. But this lady came up to Zach. We were towards the end of our uh, show, and this lady came up to Zach. Have you seen this new trend that's on fa- Facebook? It's mannequining, like yeah. the, the mannequin challenge. Yeah, I I think it's cool. I'm not. I'm not going to do it. I'm, I'm not, not gonna... quite sure what it is. I mean, so is it people oh, just all okay? Yeah, okay. Still? So you're in a room full of people, yeah. and everyone picks a pose that they want to stand in, and everyone in the room is is as still as they could possibly be. And then one person takes their phone and they go around and they shoot every. They get everyone and they're all still. And so you're basically it's like you're walking through a. a, a store full of mannequins. So in this these is a positions. video, right? Yeah. So you're taking a video and the one person that's not moving is behind the camera. So everything is, it's like time's frozen in that one moment. And it's really neat to look at. And it's, you know, whatever the Cowboys did it on their airplane, right. you know, on their way home from a, a, a win a couple weeks ago. And it's neat. And this lady comes up to us and she goes, Hey, have you seen this new thing called mannequin? We're in between songs right now in the <laughs> middle of a show, but we're set up on the floor. We're not on the stage. Right. So they're on equal footing with you. Because yeah. they can walk up to you and look you right in the eyes. So this lady comes up. She brings her phone up. And she's got one of the videos pulled up. And Zach's tuning his guitar. And she says, hey, do you know about this mannequining thing? We should do that right now. Like, let's do that. And Zach was like, I don't know what that is. And I don't really want to do that. And she was like, yeah, but look. Like, watch this video. Like, we're in the middle of a set. Watch, but watch this video. Look look at it. It's really cool. These people, everyone stands still. And then you walk around and you, it, like, it would be really cool. Like, Garth Brooks did it. Why can't you do it? And she and she wouldn't stop. And then eventually Zach goes, look, we're not going to do that. So thank you. Like, I appreciate it. You Thank you for being here. We're not going to do that. We're going to continue on with the set. He was very diplomatic about it because he is a very diplomatic right. person. And she got offended by that. She didn't like it. And so she went back and sat down. And she was closer to where I was on the on the stage, air quotes. And and she looked at me. And I, I was trying not to look at her. And I inadvertently made eye contact with, her, contact with her. And she goes... He's such a party pooper, huh? And I was like, I, no, like this, you're not, this isn't your show. What makes you think you can come up to him in the middle of his show and di- dictate how he's going to act? Yeah. And then when he doesn't do it, you're upset, you're offended because like he should have been rude to you Yeah. By and he would have been well within his rights to say something absolutely rude to yeah. you and sat you down, but he didn't do that. And now you're the one that's offended. Right. Like people are crazy like that. Well, yeah, you're doing your job. You're doing, you're doing, you're in the yeah. middle of doing your job and people come and it's not important to them. No. So now they've got to basically upstage you by saying, okay, I'm going to use you. I'm going to interrupt you from working. Right. What I was hired to do. Right. And we're going to do this so I can post it on my social media and capitalize off of it. And that's a, it's just a, it's an immature way to go about things, but it goes uh, back to people not really thinking that what you're doing is a job. They don't take it seriously because it's not something that they think is a serious thing. Yeah. She didn't look at what he was doing as, as his profession and his, yeah. and his well-being and his livelihood. On a, on a very rare occasion, I share events that are happening in Fort Worth. If I'm a part of them and it promotes what I do as a business especially. So, I will ref- so we're in Fort Worth. I have people all the time who say, well, I'm having this event or so-and-so's playing at the White Elephant in the Stockyards. Would sure. you share this and, and post it? And I say, sometimes I might. But very rarely. Let me tell you why. Because my fans in Des Moines, Iowa, don't care what's happening at the White Elephant Saloon. Sure. My job is to use... So I've described it this way. My social media 
is my business. It is uh, my page, if you will. My wall is the storefront window that people look into. Absolutely. And they get a showcase of a glimpse of what I am in my life. And so now I have people who come along and they're basically asking for free window space. Right. In my store. Right. Why would I give you that? Because, again, my universal audience does not care. Folks in Holland that I get messages from in Australia and Germany right. and Switzerland, I have people who will send me messages from Dallas and go, oh, my God, you're famous now. People are sharing your stuff in Dallas. Yeah, <laughs> in Austria, too. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's well, like, yeah, I t I've known you uh, since the advent, I think, of all of this yeah, happening. Yeah. Before, and, really. I mean, it was and, and it, it, it was you and I got to know each other and it wasn't long after that that things did kind of take off. Yeah. And I was very thrilled for you and I still am. I, I, I love watching people be successful. I, it's the coolest thing in the world because it gives me hope that maybe I can I can be successful at some point. But I, I you see that happening. And people do say that, hey, oh my gosh, like these people over in Dallas know who you are. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah. But then they don't realize they've known you, so they don't know. But right. They're not keeping up with you. They're not your fans. There is a definitive, very thick, bold line that separates fans and friends. Yeah. I had to learn that at a young age. You're, you're absolutely right. And I'll tell you a quick story on that, not interrupt your thought on that. But, you know, I have folks uh, who have gotten to know me in, in the last couple of years uh, who are local. They didn't know me before this. And they'll say, hey, uh, we want to do this thing, whether it's a golf tournament or whatever. And, Too many and, golf tournaments. And, and, and do something else. Of and, and they're like, you know, we, I've got guys that'll say, hey, we want to auction a lunch off with you, or we want to say, hey, you can come play golf with Chad, these kind of things. And, and it's local. And I'm like, well, let's not do that. Let's don't promote me like I'm some kind of celebrity. And they're like, oh, people will love it. And I'm like, they really won't. Because one, I look like a jerk. And, and like I'm, I've become something and, right. and I really don't, but you got to remember these folks that live around here, they've been having beers with me in the bar for over 10 years. Right. They don't think of me as quote famous Chad. Right. Now somebody up in Lubbock might, or somebody, you know, down in Houston might, or somebody in Vermont. Sure. I don't think That's, I'm very famous in Vermont, but you don't know, you know, I do I'm, they ship you like maple syrup. I mean, them? I'm, I, you would be surprised at this. Look at my office. Look at how much crap is in here. Do you know how much stuff gets sent to me? If anyone is in Vermont, I would love some maple, syrup. some maple syrup. I got offered, uh, some slaw today. Like coleslaw. Yeah. There's a whole, some, I didn't really check it out much, but like, it's called Slawsome. And so they said they want to send me some Slawsome. So here's a shout out to Slawsome. I'm not quite sure what Slawsome is. I'm but trying to internalize like, what you just like said. Like awesome. No, slaw. I got that. So I'm not sure quite what it is. So I I'll got, have to check them out. Is that local? No. No, it's, it's so, somewhere away, but they sent me a message today about that, so I guess I need to respond to them. Does mayonnaise ship? Um, I don't know that well. I'm comfortable with that concept. You'd have to go there. But, you know, I, I get on a plane this week. I go to South Dakota this week. I speak at a convention in South Dakota, and then I've, I go and I do something. I've got Denver the end of the week, and then I'm back, and I'm the MC locally here in Fort Worth for the annual Margarita Ball. So every year I'm the MC and the host for the Margarita Ball downtown Fort Worth. You know, it's a black tie affair. I've never been to that. I've always wanted come. to go. I would love to do that. You need to come. I've never been, and I've always wanted to go. When we get done, we'll talk about that. You need to go. It sounds, every time I see people that go, it looks like the coolest thing ever. It's a great party. It's a great party. The uh, Walton Stout Band's place, and mm -hmm. those guys are pretty solid. Yeah. I mean, that's a great party. 
the downstairs at the Worthington is just ridiculously Absolutely. good. Absolutely. And so, you know, and then we then we usually go across and see Shane Riddle. When everything shuts down at the Margarita Ball, we go across oh, to Red Goose. Had a lot of nights over there. Oh, yeah. And then we go over there and we start drinking <laughs> shots with, with uh, Shane Riddle. at the. Well, Shane doesn't drink, but. No. Neither do um, I. Yeah. And, and you quit. You I quit, quit drinking. Nine and, and, months uh, ago. Yeah. Uh, in two days. Nine, yeah. nine whole months. Yeah, my buddy Jason Crabtree celebrates one year today. That's fantastic. Yeah, he hadn't had a drink in, in 365 days, so that's impressive. It is. I, you know, I drink. I don't, uh, I don't get drunk. I don't have a problem yeah. with people well, you who made, drink. You made, well, and you made certain decisions for yourself because professionally you were just, you, found, you, you were always around it. It was, it, was, it was hindering me yeah. uh, professionally and health-wise. Yeah. But I never, I didn't. Not never, but I generally didn't ever drink to excess. Right. But my thing was, is I play between five and eight or nine shows a week. Right. And so I'm in bars literally every night. All the time. And when I do a three or four hour show, I'm there two hours before and I'm there for at least an hour after. Right. And so that creates up to seven or eight hours worth of time that I'm there. Yeah. And I'm having a drink when I get there and I'm having a drink up to the point that I leave. Yeah. But if I'm there for eight hours and I have eight drinks, it's really not that much. Right. But if you do that every night, that's a <laughs> lot of alcohol goes just, just accumulating in your body exactly. and it's so bad for you. Exactly. And I was, and I'm, and I had, I'm not an alcoholic. I don't, I don't consider myself an alcoholic. I was never addicted to it. I didn't drink to excess yeah. very often. If I did, it was generally on accident. And but it started affecting my body. I started to gain weight and yeah. I couldn't lose the weight and I did, I became very apathetic. I was getting depressed because I was becoming so apathetic and I right. was not pleased with the way I looked. It was starting to affect my voice. I I have I have I feel like I've found my voice a lot within the last year vocally yeah. and I'm I'm very proud of what it is now, but a year ago today I was I was in a sinking ship of of not being able to control it. And, and then I would, you know, have a couple of drinks and get what I thought was loosened up and then I would be worse and yeah. I'm dehydrating myself. And so I was, I was in a really weird and, and not good place. I hadn't written a song in six months and I'm not for lack of trying. I was just totally blocked. And I decided, uh, we, we went to Ireland. Mm -hmm. I went to Ireland on the red dirt pub crawl, which they're going back this year without right. me. And I thought they're going to have a phenomenal time. And, uh, I, I got to go on that trip last year and I had so much fun, but I drank a lot while I was there yeah. because everything is walking distance. You're not driving anywhere. You don't have to really right. worry about it. And right. that's what, when you're in Ireland, that's what you do. You just drink. Unless a you're lot. Dalton Domino, you take a, you take a cab a block. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got a lot of stories that I think a lot of these people will probably appreciate me not telling. <laughs> exactly. But we had so much fun. I had such a blast on that trip, but I drank a lot. And so I came back, this was the first week of December, I guess. And I came back and I, I dried out for a few days, but then I got back into playing a lot. And that was just, you know, I've got a, my, I've got my Tito's and soda and that was my drink of choice. And come the turn of the new year, we did uh, a couple of gigs up in, up in the mountains in January. We did like a, a two week run or something like that and played a bunch of shows and the altitude I've, I've played sports my whole life. I don't consider myself any kind of super athlete, but I consider myself in shape for the most part. Anybody that's I, ever played golf with you needs to consider you a super athlete. We can talk about well, that later. That's not the most athletic sport. Well, it's not, world. but still, it, it's pretty impressive. Well, I appreciate yeah. that. But I, it got, we came back from this trip, and I realized that I was, I was not in the shape that I thought I was, 
And then I became more apathetic. And like it just, I, I was spiraling, basically. This is a long story to say that I was, it was in a bad spot. Yeah. So I decided the day after my birthday in February, February 18th, the day after my birthday, that was it. I was going to take three months off. Mm-hmm. I was going to be done with it for three months. That was what I said. And so I went to the Granada Theater in Dallas, and I saw Warren Haynes, who is my all-time favorite musician. Mm-hmm. He's a guy that I've probably seen more than anybody else in, in musician. Well, I love him to death. He has this new thing that he's doing with, like, it's like bluegrass rock. It's phenomenal. It's a great show. And uh, I took Chelsea with me, and the next day I woke up, and that was it. I didn't have a drink for three months, and then I got to the end of that three months. And once I got through, I have really, really bad social anxiety. You you wouldn't I don't think you would realize it, mm-hmm. but I have it really bad, uh, and I had to relearn how to operate as a as a human being without alcohol as lu- right. as social lubricant, and it became a real issue because I would go out and I'd have a panic attack. I'd have to go sit in my car for twenty minutes mm-hmm. and calm myself down, and and I just had to re- just like when you quit smoking, you have to relearn how to drive a car, how to eat a meal, and without having a cigarette. And that's how I was with alcohol. And but when I quit, I went through about two months of that. And then that third month, once I found, I re, I figured out who I was, who I didn't know who I was, because I've been doing that since I was nineteen. I figured out who I was. I became very comfortable with who that person was because it was a real person. It right. was exactly who I was. I wasn't trying to be anybody. I I started dressing differently. I lost weight. I started to feel good. I started to sing better immediately. Within two weeks of quitting drinking, once all that stuff started processing out, mm-hmm. I was singing better. I and then when that three month mark hit, I was talking with Chelsea about it, and and I just went. There are there are an immense amount of things on their own line that have happened in a that, that have that are positive things that have happened in my life in the last three months that I directly directly correlate with not drinking anymore right why would i go back to that i was miserable i was i was like looking for job looking for day jobs i was ready to quit playing music i was trying to sell instruments i was just i was done with everything that was happening i was unhappy and everything needed to change but the only thing that really needed to change was that i needed to quit drinking yeah and it and it became such a positive thing in my life that i i don't have any desire to have a, have any drinks at this point. Yeah. And it's not because I think there's anything wrong with it because there's not, I don't care. I'm not preachy about it. I'm not, I'm not saying that anyone is at fault who drinks too much. I, I don't care. It doesn't matter to me because it's sure. not who I, it's not me. It doesn't affect me. Yeah. Uh, what I, what I learned about me was that that doesn't react to me well. Yeah. And I implore heavily anyone who's ever considered taking a month off, taking a week or two off doesn't count because you don't get, the full yeah, you got to go past that. You have to go past that because it there's there are there are there's chemistry happening when you're drinking, and it's 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 slowly and and very acutely poisoning your body. Yeah. And you don't realize it, but those 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 chemicals accumulate in your blood and in your organs and in your brain, and they affect every aspect of your life. Even when you're not drinking, even when you wake up and you're hungover, and then your hangover's gone, and you're having a great day. You're still your body's still processing that, and it takes it takes months for that to to get out of your system. Yeah. And when I hit that three month mark, it was all out. I looked it up, and it's like eight weeks or ten weeks. And once I hit that three month mark, I could tell the difference. I was losing weight. I felt better. I was 
I was exercising just because I felt like I had all this energy, like I'm getting up in the morning. And, and all of that is it worked for me. But I implore heavily anyone who's ever considered doing that to take take a whole month off and allow your body to start getting rid of some of these things and freeing up space for other stuff. And, and it will make you it will change your outlook on it. And, and I think people should do that once a year. I think everyone should do that once a year. Yeah, it, I agree. I it, think it, it, it's a, you know. Whether you call it a detox or cleansing your body or whatever it is, I think people have to do that. And, you know, I, I deal with a lot of people who struggle with addiction. And, and I don't, you know, I, I have a hard time relating with certain aspects of addiction because I, I don't have an addictive personality. Yeah, I, can, I don't really either. You know, I can, I can take something or leave it for the mm-hmm. most part. Or you take alcohol. I mean, I could, I'll drink socially. But then I can put it away and not even think about it sure. and, and not even consider it anymore. I don't get drunk. I don't like to be around people who are drunk because I don't like to be off balance. And that is something yeah. for me. I don't like to be imbalanced. I don't like to be uh, slurred in any way. And I don't right. like being around people who are, who, like I said, are out of control. So uh, I, I grew up with an element of that in my life mm-hmm. uh, with the people who were, whether it was family or people. And I, and I just said, that that's not who I am. and It's not who I want to be. And so... Uh, I deal with people who deal with a lot of addictions and you know, it's those things that, and I deal with a lot of people who come to me because I've been openly open and honest myself about my own battles with depression over the years. Mm -hmm. And I still fight with it all the time. I'm not on any form of medications. I haven't been in several years and I hope I never have to get back on any form of medication because I believe I've found the system for myself to Mm -hmm. make myself mind healthy. Uh, but it still chemically wants to come back and sometimes circumstantially where you're just like, man, I'm just really depressed and sure. I have to go through those practices again. But I have people who come to me and we'll say, okay, well, what do we need to weed out of your life that I know is depressing you? Alcohol could be one of them uh, because it is a depressant. It's going to bring you down. And sure. a lot of times folks need to back away from those things. So you're right. You know, sometimes I have found people who have taken that, you know, six week, eight week, 12 week uh, time period of saying, I'm not going to have a drink and they don't go back to it. Yeah. You know, they say you you're a perfect example of that because I can remember not long after you stopped, I ran into you. Uh, you were doing a you were doing a show at a place over off West Seventh, and I ran into you and I said, "Can I buy you a drink?" And you said, oh, "I quit drinking." You know, and you had you had been off I think for a couple of months at that point, and yeah. I was like, "Hey, good, I mean, great, that's yeah. awesome. I'll drink yours." Yeah, so. <laughs> go for it. <laughs> yeah, yep. That's a weird thing. People want to bring drinks they to the stage, do. but I was no, going to ask you how that affected. No, well, you. Well, it doesn't affect. I don't care. Yeah. People get people when when they're doing that. That's their version of 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 saying physi- thank you, physically showing you that they yeah. appreciate what you're doing. Right. And I love that from the bottom of my heart. It means the world to me as a gesture. Mm-hmm. Sometimes. They'll bring the band a round of shots. In my four-piece band, two of us don't drink. Mm-hmm. So they'll bring four shots to the stage, and I always hand them out to everybody. My band knows this drill, even the other guy that doesn't drink. We all know this drill. We say, thank you, cheers, thank you so much for appreciating it, all of that. We'll, we'll clink our glasses together, and my, my bass player and I will just kind of put them, on, put them down, and, and the other two guys will eventually probably yeah. have them, or, yeah. I'll, you know, or they'll get thrown away. And, and I don't mean that offensively. Right. But they don't know that I don't drink because I don't really advertise it because it's not really important. That's not a part right. of my band. Me being sober isn't a part of anything except for my own personal well-being. Yeah. So I don't care uh, to, to share that with the world, even though I just spent the last 20 minutes doing that on this podcast. 
but it's okay. We're going to talk about how I gave up sex that's after what, marriage. Yeah, uh, so there, there, that's, there, a that's pretty, a whole other. Conversation. That's a pretty common thing. You I want hear. to talk about something as as a red blooded American male? Yeah, uh, that's that's Absolutely. a hard one. That takes a lot longer to get over. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, I have had on rare occasions and instances where someone will come back up and go, well, "Why didn't you?" drink the shot i gave you and i go well i don't drink and go yeah but i already bought it and i go well you didn't ask first like don't get mad at me this is you didn't know and that's it's gonna get drank just not by me and they go well i didn't try i'm not trying to buy your drummer two shots and i go well you've already bought them you're not getting them they're not gonna pour it back in the bottle give you a refund like what are you upset about? Like, what are you really mad about right now? I don't, no. I don't get into it to that point, but well, but people, that's that is, I mean, psychologically, that, kind of that is interesting. I mean, when you think about it, and, and and if anybody's listening to this, and that you are ever tempted to have that issue with an artist that has that, look, you got to deal with your own sense of rejection because that's basically what it boils down to. You're feeling like that person is rejecting your gift. You're, yeah. it, it's like saying, "Hey, thank you," and that person not saying you're welcome, and you get offended yeah. because you didn't hear him say you're welcome, and uh, people. People don't know how to handle rejection. They really don't. And it's, I tell people all the time, if here's the thing, especially for artists, and I was talking about I was talking to an artist recently who was dealing with with public rejection. And they were really struggling with it. And I said, here's the thing. You've spent a lot of your life, a lot of your career chasing after people's acceptance, and you feel like that makes your career. If if the acceptance of men can make you the rejection of men can destroy you so acceptance and rejection are both twin evil things mm-hmm. needing someone's approval is, is is just as bad as being broken by their rejection and so as an artist especially that lives by the applause lives by the sales lives by the you know the recognition or the likes or whatever you want to call it uh, you know, I look at I look at the success or failure of say a video I might put out there. I don't look at how many people view it. So earlier I said, okay, well we've got whatever six and a half, seven million views on a thing. What I'm looking at is that it's been shared 150 thousand times. Yeah. Because it's one thing to view it. Right. Yeah, you might have just watched 30 seconds and gotten off of it. Right. We don't know. But if you told my story for me by sharing it yourself, then I yeah. know it meant something to you. So those kind of accolades, that, that you look at those and you're like, wow, that's successful. Okay. But if they don't share it at all, do I still stand by the words I put out there? Absolutely. Yeah. Therefore, somebody's acceptance did not make my career. Right. Uh, their ability to, to uh, uh, propagate my words, you know, it, didn't make that big of a difference, although I appreciate it. And so, therefore, when somebody gets on there and they really come at me with vitriol and just really with hate speech and things like that where they're really attacking me, and I've gotten everything from death threats all the way down to bodily harm threats. Sure. The rejection of man really can't affect you that much. No. Um, you know, we got everybody in the world wanting safe spaces. I promise you, this house is a safe space. I got more guns in here than... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well... I- I think you have to develop, you have to be very comfortable in who you are yeah. to be an artist. Yeah. Yeah. Good. I was going to ask if that was real or not. Uh, that's real. Is it loaded? It's not loaded. Oh, okay. It's yeah. got a, a, a revolver in a very well put together leather holster. Yeah. It's a, it's a Western, it's an old Western gun belt. Of course, I've got a Bowie knife that somebody made with mm-hmm. me for the, with an elk horn there. It's, it's beautiful. A, it's a beautiful knife. Um, a little turquoise then, in uh, there. It's really yeah, It's got nice. turquoise in the handle. And then, of course, there's a, uh, it's a that's actually a 357 revolver and that is actually made uh, like an old west revolver you yeah. take a look at but it's it's you know i've got the bullets in the belt there yeah. and things like that but well we're very safe in this room specifically yeah i mean between that and hang on i'm gonna move the microphone talk amongst yourselves i'll grab this out i just noticed it 
He's digging. Uh, this was actually oh, given to that? me recently. I did an event. I love these. I love doing these events where they give you, give you things. I did an event up in Bowie, Texas. Oh my goodness! And so they made a Bowie knife for me. Look Whoa. at this thing. That was. Uh, that is a beast of a knife. Look how big of a knife that Holy is. I mean, crap. feel the weight of that thing. That's that's that thing's five six pounds. Jeez, it's like a foot. The blade of this thing is about a foot long or yeah. more. I mean, can you imagine? And three inches wide. That is incredible. Yeah. They, they made this a, just for you. They made it just for me. They did an event, Battle of the Barbecue 2015, went up there and emceed a deal and hosted a deal, spent some time with the folks in Bowie, Texas, so they made me a Bowie knife, so I thought that was pretty wow. fitting. But I was moving some stuff around in here earlier today just to kind of make space for us to get in this office because it's so trashed out. Um, it's a normal office. Well, I, I, what I wanted to start doing, you know, originally I wanted to, I say originally, a, a couple of months ago I wanted to start doing a, a kind of a weekly deal on Mondays where I would come in my office and I would show people the crap that's in my office because I've got so... I don't think this goes back in there. doesn't Chris. fit it's, very well in that box. In I need to take it out of that box and do something with it. You should wear it on stage. <laughs> so big. It's like, it's like... It would be the knife equivalent of clown shoes. I look around this office. I've got so much stuff. There are a lot of pictures. And there, there's pictures and, and painting. I, 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 just, I had a lot of stuff that was on the walls, hanging on the walls, and then I, and I took it off because I, I got another office uh, over in East Fort Worth, and I started decorating that office. And those, so this office kind of fell by the wayside. So and I got sport coats everywhere because I'll do these events, and I just I'm too there lazy. There are three of the same color, different shaped <laughs> cowboy hats. Yeah, and every, on the wall. every one of them has a story too. So that one in the middle right there. That, that so so the two on the uh, the two on the ends are are American hats American Hat Company hats uh-huh. of course they're my partners and, and they sponsor me and have for years and just great folks the one in the middle there has gone back a long way that that one's been worn quite a bit that was a custom made hat for me some folks up in uh, uh, Wichita Falls Texas made that for me years ago and just fits my head perfectly yeah. it's dirty and nasty it is that but the one on the far left is actually the best hat that American Hats makes in fact they just made that model for Donald Trump. Oh, wow. Yeah, so they're sending it to him through uh, Sid Miller, who's now one of his uh, cabinet appointees. Yeah. And so uh, um, that is actually what they call a 1,000X. That is a pure mink hat. Mink. Yeah, so that thing retails at about $2,500. Now, don't get me wrong. I would never buy that. No. But they wanted to give me that as a gift. Uh, a while I would back, accept a it as a ago. gift. For well, sure. I, yeah. Well, I didn't want it. I was like, I'm, I'm intimidated by this hat. Yeah. You know, because I was thinking, I this thing's too nice. Where would I ever wear it? And they said, Well, trust me, that hat's going to clean better than any other hat you wear. Right. And so, you know, special events, things like that, I'll wear that hat. And then, of course, I wanted to imitate the look of that hat, so I got the cheapest hat American Hats makes. That's the one on the far right mm-hmm. there that's hanging there. And that yeah. one, I'm not afraid to wear out, you know, if I go to Rednecks yeah. with Paychecks or something like sure, that. Sure, get all dirty. mud everywhere. I mean, they all look really nice. Yeah, I mean, you know, so those are the three silver bellies, and I actually wear those three hats less than any of them. The one yeah. I wear is the steel gray. That That's, that's the one that most people see uh, in the videos that I do because it's just become the, the workhorse for me. But, yeah. yeah, I'm so lazy, though, man. I come in and... This is my safe space. You're not lazy. That's a dumb thing to say. You're like (laughs) the complete opposite of being lazy. I think I'm. I think I'm I'm practically lazy though around the house. Like I'll come in here. I'll I'll, I'll wear these sport coats to an event, and then I'll come in and like the closet is right freaking there, dude. All I'd have to do is take those jackets, open the door, and hang them on the. But why would you do that? But I just they're just right there, and so now if I ever need, you know, just walk in and grab a jacket and go. Yeah, it's a good system. You have a system. It's organized chaos. I understand that more than 
More than most people would, I think. That's kind of how I live my life. I know. And I have all these things from, from law enforcement, too. Now I do all these law enforcement events. You know, and they, now they give me patches, and they give me these, you know, they give me the coins, and, and I'll go do That's these cool. law enforcement conventions and events, and I'll do, I don't know, gosh, I'll do a dozen of them a year. I'm doing at least one a month because I've tried to be as outspoken as possible for law enforcement and, and uh, as well as the military. Sure. So it's amazing if folks really knew my background and all of the stuff that I've done. Um, that you know, law enforcement might not want me in. They so don't much. vet you before you go in there. They, they really don't run a background check most that's, of the time. That's so. good. But there's so much crap in this office, and uh, uh, there's a Barbie doll. There is a Barbie doll. There, I wasn't going to bring that yeah, up unless you were. Well, that one I did it's a, seri- a Ken doll specifically. It's a Ken doll. I did a series, and Barbie's around here somewhere. Uh, she may be out in the garage, but I did a series a of videos to promote Rednecks with Paychecks. And, and this particular doll, his his character was Douchebag Brad. And so we had uh, <laughs> uh, the main character was Rednecking Ham and his big jacked up Jeep. And then, of course, uh, Mud Flap. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so then this was Douchebag Brad in his tight red pants. But yeah. People will walk in and they're like, why do you have Barbie clothes everywhere? And I'm like, I'm working. Hey, so, hey, that's all you need to say. You don't need to explain it any more exactly. than that. This I'm is, working. This is work. This is what I do for a living. I create. I play with Barbie dolls <laughs> and Ken dolls. I, I'm thinking outside of the box, baby. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, absolutely. That's what so. you got to do. How'd you get hooked up with Bill Martin? I have to say in the interest of full disclosure that yeah. I didn't know who Bill Martin was before I saw you do that. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it was everywhere and you guys are killing it right now touring well, bill, and doing all that stuff yeah bill had uh, bill's a fort worth guy he's actually from blue mound texas mm-hmm. which is up near saginaw and uh, i knew bill because i knew he was a comedian but i knew bill through his foundation his charity has started called cowboys who care and he wanted to find a way years ago he wanted to find a way to uh, work with kids with cancer mm-hmm. And so one day he just had the idea. Let's instead of them having to wear wigs, let's put cowboy hats yeah. on their heads. And so I bet they love that. And they do. And so now everywhere we go, we visit children's hospitals, primarily kids with cancer and other life-threatening illnesses. And uh, we take cowboy hats. Resist all has been really gracious to kind of create a hat that's specifically for those heads because yeah. sometimes they swell, sometimes they're sensitive, sure. and so there's a comfort band on the inside of those hats. And that's really cool. Uh, to date, we've given away just over 6,000 hats. Mm-hmm. And so you guys accept donations for that. We could plug that. Yeah. Cowboys who care.org is where folks can go to find out more about that. And that's and really, really you know, great. Organization. There's nobody makes any money off of Cowboys who care. There's no staff. Sure. Um, you know, Bill runs it. Michelle, his wife runs it. And, mm-hmm. and, um, I'm on the board there. Some guys like Steve Helms are yeah, on the I was board. Say, I see him doing it every yeah. now and then. And, that's yeah. such a great thing. And so there's there's been guys. I mean, you know, we go to Cook's Hospital down in downtown Fort Worth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Sonny Burgess is, mm-hmm. is down there, and he's such a gracious guy. He works with Cook's. And, mm-hmm. He know, runs that studio in he there. He runs a studio yeah. in there. Which is and, and works for the, and it's state a of the art studio. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Like, I want to make a record in there. Yeah. Like, that's a great yeah. studio. So, you know, we're, it's. I've it's, played a couple of acoustic events in there. Have you really? Yeah, for those kids, go in there and play yeah. for an hour, and they, they bring them all in there and yeah. sit them down and. And the kids eat that up. We were at one. Yeah. Where were we? We were in. Uh, we were in Lubbock. We were in Lubbock uh, two weeks ago, and we went in, and they had a theater that they had built that was really cool. And they yeah. bring the kids in there where they can do performances, and then That's they have cool. then they have cameras in there as well. So if the kids are not able to be right. around, they can see it, and yeah. so. It's amazing. I mean, that's, those people are in the biggest struggle that you can imagine. I mean, I can't, you know, with five kids, I can't imagine going through that on a personal level. Uh, it's a hard thing. I, you know, I cry at the drop of a hat anyway, but we have a couple of rules. One, you don't, when you walk into one of those rooms and you see a little bald head, you don't assume gender. Right. 
You don't ask them how they're doing. Right. Because you know what? They're not it's doing pretty good. pretty obvious how they're doing. They're not doing. doing good. And we don't cry in front of them. Yeah. But there's been a lot of times where we've had to excuse ourselves from the room really, really quick because yeah. it's one of those situations. And so. Um, I had cancer as a kid. Did you really? Mm-hmm. I was an infant. Yeah. But I had a neuroblastoma tumor. Yeah. Uh, and they caught it because I caught the flu at just under a year. Wow. And my parents took me in. And my mom can elaborate more on this than I can. But they took me to the hospital to get an x-ray on my chest for the flu. Mm. And they saw this little mass. And the doctor said, well, that's not supposed to be there. And so they did some tests. They found out I had this tumor. And then like a week later, I was in surgery. And they did this. I have scars on my back still that are about this from my spine to my side to my side of my rib cage from the surgeries. And they pulled it out, pulled out this tumor. We have people all the time who come to one of our shows and and they might hear... They might hear might hear an unsavory word, you know. They might hear a profanity. Which I mean, we advertise our shows. Our eight, our shows are eighteen and over. Sure, the comedy shows are eighteen and over. Uh, you may hear adult language. That's how I advertise this podcast. There you go. And so folks, <laughs> and so folks come to the show, and I've gotten messages. I can't believe the filth I heard. Well, first of all, we live in the real world. You really didn't hear filth. And I say, no. you know, as I, I'll tell you, do you a, watch cable TV? Exactly. I'm like, you know, we're we're PG eighteen at these shows. And uh depends on if Bill's had a little bit to drink. Sometimes he go. can get salty. I'll blame him. There you go. But uh I'd love to meet him. He seems like a really great guy. Great guy, great guy, funny guy. But I tell people all the time, you want to hear a real nasty word, I'll put two of them together. It's pediatric cancer. That is profane. If you want to get offended by something, get offended by that. And anybody yeah. that wants to have a problem with, you know, uh, a couple of salty words. Uh, I'll take you to one of these cancer clinics for these kids, and I'll show you something that's truly offensive. And, and you'll, puts a lot of things into perspective to see that. Yeah, you'll find out. You'll find out what's important in that deal. And, Absolutely. And we've got a lot of things that we focus on in our world that aren't that important, but these folks are in for a big struggle. So I, one of the biggest blessings of my life, and I and uh, you know I don't see myself ever being separated from that organization. Uh, Cowboys Who Care has just been a phenomenal thing, and we're not looking for cures. We're not looking for miracles in the sense that we're raising money for treatments. We're just putting right. smiles on kids' faces. Yeah, moral support goes yeah, you a know, long the by, way. Yeah, the byline is every kid wants to be a cowboy. Sure. And and so it's it's just a blessing to be able to do that. The families love it. And it's been great because as Bill and I have grown in terms of notoriety, it's a blessing for the families when we come in and they, they get to spend a little time and we hang out with them a little bit. And, um, That's awesome. Yeah, we have fun with it. And, and So go to the website. Yeah, cowboysuhocare.org. Donate money. Yeah. Or donate your time. Donate something and, and be, yeah. be a part of something bigger than yourself. Yeah. People, it's a great people thing. need to do that in general. Pick a cause and be a part of it. Yeah. I, t- I tell people all the time, you, you know, you got to be investing yourself. There's a couple of things I do. You know, I do that on the local level, wherever we are. And then, of course, I'm a part of, and I think the box is sitting over there. I just saw it when I moved a second ago, uh, part of Compassion International. Um, you know, we, we find kids that are starving to death in third world countries and feed them. Yeah. And so, uh, you can go to compassion.com slash Chad Prather and find my page. If you want to adopt a kid, you know, we, we adopt several kids and, uh, sponsor them. We don't adopt them. Right. You know, we're not taking them out of their home or anything, but right. getting them, uh, getting them some stuff that they need yeah. that they don't have access to. Yeah. We know that every 85% of every dime we, we donate goes to those kids. Yeah. And that's, and you know that virtually unheard of for charities. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but we know that in compassion has one of the top rated charities in the world. And we know that 80, 84, 85% of every dollar goes to uh, feed those kids. And I have people that kick back all the time. They're like, I can't believe that you would support third world children when there's kids that are starving to death in America. And I said, well, I support them too. 
Sure. And what I do with my money is not your business. If I want to support that's kids really in America. That's really the bottom line. That's really all you yeah. have to say. Yeah. If I, want to, if I want to feed starving kids in America, if I want to put cowboy hats on, you know, why aren't you out there looking for a cure? Because well, that's not, that's not, I'm, I'm not, not a, a doctor. Because I'm not an oncologist. Yeah. You know, and so I, uh, you know, I, I tell people, I'll say, um, you know, if I want to go save kids in third world countries, I can do that too. And there's people out there that can, and they should, and it does, man. It makes you feel good to know that you're doing something. We, you know, Jade and I, we travel uh, to those countries and we visit those kids yeah. personally. We've been in their homes. We visited yeah. with their families. We've taken them gifts. We, we've seen how they've benefited and, and been blessed from it. So, uh, you know, we do that every year. The world year. is a lot bigger than people think it is. It is, and, and that be, that and, becomes the problem when people start accosting you, yeah. for wanting to see see humanity on a global level as right. humanity. Right. The people people have dehumanized. Yeah. I think third world countries and, and they see these videos and these commercials for these kids that are for, for the yeah. same thing you're doing. And they, it doesn't seem real to them. It looks like right. a movie. It looks like something that's been staged staged and it hasn't been. Yeah. And, and I, I don't think people understand that, that the world is so much bigger than, than Texas, than America, than, than people really think it is. And that, you know, I wish people would step outside of their comfort zone yeah. and, and experience something like that. Well, I tell people all the time, it's not an either or; it can be both and. You don't. It doesn't. Yeah. You don't have to say, okay, well, I'm going to pick e- either American kids or foreign right. kids. Right. And and I also say that the light that shines the brightest at home, by definition, should f- shine the farthest away. Sure. So if you if you're doing a really great work here, it's going to spill over to the world. And we live in a global community these days, both with the internet, the ability. I can get on an airplane right now, and be on the other side of the world in a matter of hours. Yeah. I mean, literally in a matter Absolutely. of hours. By tomorrow, I can be on the other side of the globe. Yeah. And uh, and there are people over there that are exactly like you and I. Yeah. They're doing the same, have yeah. the same thoughts and the same ideas. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm, I'll maybe never Maybe they the, need some help, and maybe we can provide that help for them. Well, my thing is I have people all the time who say, Chad, don't get too big. You know, don't don't let your ego grow too big or anything what like that. What does that even mean? Yeah, I know. I don't know. People I say that all the time. It, don't forget it, about me when you're famous. Yeah, well, don't forget about me when you're famous. When you get, and I'm like, I don't know. What, I, why would that even cross your mind? I mean, what are people thinking when they say that? I don't know. It's, it's kind of funny selfish. to me. Selfish. But it's, <laughs> you selfish people. That's what it is. Just selfish don't people. Don't forget about me. And, and what, what I take is, does that mean that if you got there, well, you'd forget about me? If the roles were reversed? You know, I, I start reading into stuff like that, but I have people to say, well, listen, don't get too big for yourself. You know, your hat won't fit if you get any, you get any bigger. And I'm like, well, if you have hit rock bottom as many times as I have in life, you don't have to worry about ego. Right. Look, I mean, I believe in confidence and I believe in, in a healthy dose of arrogance and swagger to as sure. I call it. It's called but, charisma. Yeah. But it's not a matter of egotism, egotism and, and things like that. I, I'm at a point where I'm like, man, you you don't know how many times where I've literally been able to count what's in my bank account in change. Yeah. Oh yeah. Or, it, or less than that. And over it, <laughs> and, I, and like I can't pay this, or I'm now I'm at the pawn shop, you know, selling this, oh, yeah. knowing that I'm not even going to be able to go back and buy it back in a month. Yeah. Because this is it. I've, I've got to go get rid of this just right. to pay a bill. Right. Or to feed my family and those kind of things. And. um so when people say things like that, it's it's I know they don't mean it that way this way, but it's almost as if they they're not wanting you to become successful. Right. Don't get too big for your hat or whatever. Yeah. yeah. It's like, well, do, are you do you want me to just just because you don't have larger hopes and dreams for your life and aspirations doesn't yeah. mean that I can't. Does that doesn't mean that you shouldn't want me to to 
excel to the most of my ability yeah. in whatever it is that I choose to do. Well, there's a couple of psychological uh, dynamics that are happening there. One, people who have known you for years and now all of a sudden you've become something or you've accomplished something, they're like, oh, well, you're still just the same old Chad. Right. Well, I am still the same old Chad, and I understand what you're trying to do in telling me that. You're telling me not to become something different. You're warning me not to become something different. But in a sense, there is a little bit of, of maybe some envy that's going on there because Absolutely. you're thinking you're thinking well you know you just you're just the same old guy to me well i hope i always am the same way right you know that's that's integrity into integrity integer that means one it's integrity is being one with yourself sure and i don't ever want to be duplicitous i don't ever want to be you know divided against myself so that now i'm somebody out here and another person right. here and, you know i never want to be that person that would be exhausting well it really is uh, i think it was friedrich nietzsche one of the only wise things I think he ever said as a philosopher was shots fired. I know he said, uh, <laughs> he said, and it probably wasn't even Nietzsche, but he said, you know, a person, a person can, but it sounds smart to say that uh, a person can only wear uh, two faces to the world for so long before they forget which one is the right one, the yeah, real one. That's heavy. And, uh, and we do, we wear that public persona. We wear that. And I think that's one of the things quite honestly, to me, I think that it has been appealing uh, to, to my audience is people say, you're real. You know, you come across as genuine, you yeah. come across as real. So doing the charities and doing things like that have been something that have made me, you know, kind of be able uh, to stay one with myself. Well, I think that also you probably have always felt a, a, a philanthropic pull. Sure. And I've always yourself, done those things. But maybe, but maybe yeah. you didn't have the means to do it right. all the time. Right. As much as you do it now, you're, you're able to do it now yeah. because of your position as a social, yeah. as a social person. And, and, uh, and well, I have people now, you know, I have people who say, well, you know, we're back in my twenties, you know, they say, why did you go live in Nigeria for a month? And I was like, well, I didn't have the money to get back home. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I, kinda had to. I, I, I got over there and I kind of got stuck. But, you know, I used to go do those things. I'd spend, I've been all over the world. I mean, you, it, you're hard pressed to name a region of the world I haven't been in. Yeah. Been on every continent except for Antarctica and nobody wants to go there. Um, Not really. And so, you know, but I've been everywhere and every region of the world I've been there and it was always a blessing for me. And then I took a long period of time off from international travel because I just did not have the means to do it. I was raising my own kids and, right. and doing those things. And so when the platform did present itself and I said, Hey, you know, I've got an opportunity to do some things and, and more than just me doing it, I've got the ability to influence the decision-making of other people and say, Hey, uh, you contribute as well. Yeah. And so we were able to kind of multiply that a little bit. Well, it's great that you can take, you can take the position of, of I'm going to use the word power, but I don't mean it as power, but, but social power right. and, and social influence. And you can take that and you know, and you're, you've been around enough in life to know exactly who you are. Mm -hmm. You, you have never not been the person that I anticipated you to be right. in any of our interactions over the years that Good. we've known each other. And I, I respect that. And I love that about you because I love who you are. You're one of my favorite people to be around. I don't get to be around you as much anymore because you and I are both busy. Sure. But when I do, I cherish those times because yeah. I, I enjoy it. But it's it's good that you understand that about yourself because yeah. I don't think a lot of people understand when if you give a person a position of power, social power or, or political power that's not used to having that, yeah. they're going to go, well, what are all the things that happened to me that I didn't like? I'm going to go do those things to other yeah. people now that because I can. And they perpetuate the cycle. But yeah. when, what you're doing is promoting this this uh, cowboy hats for for cancerous kids and promoting 
all this positivity and just spreading all of this, all of this spiritual wealth that you have accumulated. And I think that that's such an amazing positive thing that I think that anybody who has anything negative to say about about you as a person are they're only people who don't know you as a person. They're only people yeah. who see you and they go, "Look at this idiot! Mm-hmm. He's sitting in his truck making videos, and yeah. I'm supposed to. What am I supposed to like? What does that mean to me? Yeah. And they're missing the entire point of the whole thing. Yeah. And those people mean should mean nothing to you. And I know that I don't have to tell you that, but it yeah. angers me when I see that because they're saying things about you about your personality or about your appearance right. and that's totally missing the point of, right. of what you're saying yeah and, and ultimately and i hate to say this because it sounds bad to say it right it, it sounds arrogant to say it but ultimately that is jealousy and people are absolutely people are expressing a jealousy. something touched inside of them and their thought was who who the hell is this guy well you know who does he think he right. is telling me what and, to and, do and you're basically saying well why can't I be like that too? I, I mean, you know, yeah. Why and, doesn't and, any, why I make videos is, all the time? Why does nobody watch those? And that is so offensive, especially to men that, that they see that another man is getting some form of notoriety for something he's right. done. There's, and their girlfriend's going, Hey, watch this yeah. guy. He's oh my so, God. He's, he's look so at his dreamy. teeth. Look he's at his so teeth. So dreamy. Look at his teeth. And somebody you do have posted, exceptionally white teeth. I, I, and I, people ask, so there was, somebody posted something yesterday. said, well, the only reason I watch your deal is to see your teeth. And I'm jealous of your teeth because they're so damn white. <laughs> or whatever. And then they were like, well, he paid thousands of dollars for those teeth. Those I are veneers. I have not been to the dentist in six years. That is my confession. I have not been to the dentist. I got to go to the dentist. I'm you scared to know what they're going to find. You I haven't been to the dentist in six years. Uh, you know, living in there. About, about once every I don't know, two to three months, I might think to put some Crest white strips on there there just you to, you know, because I am on television. I and, do that too. But I have naturally white teeth. I don't know what that is. I don't smoke. You know, I try to, you know, I brush my teeth several times a day. I floss. I try to practice good dental hygiene. I don't know what it is, but, uh, other than genetics is all it is. It is. And I, you know, my dad has horrible teeth or, you know, he's, you know, again, years of smoking and things like that. You know, and, uh, but Hey, after, uh, you know, I wore braces, got them off at the age of 15. Yeah, I did. I had them in high school. And really, years. Was done, you know, after that, this is what I've got. I mean, I, I look at my teeth and I'm like, gosh, I must be grinding them in my sleep because they're moving on me and stuff. I mean, I see the, but people see these things. And they see pictures of them. They're like, oh, this guy, he, he went out and bought his. I literally had someone, and I and I know her now, I had to because we got intimate one night in the sense that she walked up to me in a bar uh, at the Whiskey Girl, she walked up to me, and I didn't know her at the time. She stuck her finger in my mouth oh my and God. tried to pull my teeth out. Oh, my God. Like it's dentures? Like, yeah, like they were fake teeth. She oh said, I want to see if she said. She didn't say a word. That's she just walked up, and she just went, and tried to pull. Horrifically disgusting thing I've ever I was like, what, what just happened Ugh. right now? Ugh. And uh kind of ticked me off when it happened. But Take a big old shot of vodka. Yeah. Swish it around in there. Exactly. I'm going to need the hardest thing you got in Ugh. there. But, uh, yeah, she put her finger in my mouth, That's tried to pull my teeth out. Incredible. And she, they did not come out. No, they're stuck in there. No, they're, they're there, and I hope they stay there for a long, long time. Uh, but, yeah, the teeth, I don't... People don't have any concept of personal space. No, they really don't, because, because again, if they don't know you personally, then you're not a person. It's very dehumanizing. Yeah, if you're not a... Being if, a public figure. Yeah, if you're in a public eye, then you're not a person. You're an entertainer, and they want you to be on and be funny. Yeah. Yeah. And stick their fingers in your mouth. Somebody That's posted disgusting. yesterday. And this if was, you're listening, you're a disgusting you're person. Disgusting, disgusting human. I don't know who you are. He does. He's not going to tell yeah. me who you are. But you're a horrible, yeah, disgusting you're person. Horrible. I'm going to remind you on a continual basis. Want to see you? Please do. No, I had somebody posted something <laughs> yesterday that said, uh, 
he's so cute. He looks so good. He's such an attractive man or whatever. And then the next comment, somebody replied to her and said, he is, but when he takes the hat off, he just become, becomes really, really normal. <laughs> she said, "Like it's a." She said, "Well, Superman I can see suit. that, but he's still cute." And I'm I like, "See that? What does that <laughs> even mean?" I'm like, "That's jacked up." What is it? What does it mean to look really normal? <laughs> just, I got a nose and a couple of ears, some hair. I mean, God forbid. But what's amazing to me is people back on the teeth thing. How this this turned into like a 200 comment argument amongst people about, you know. How dare I have such good teeth? I mean, they were. This was their words. People you know, crazy. I'm like, what am I supposed to be? Toothless? Am I supposed to be walking around with decay and rot mm-hmm. coming out of my mouth? Then and, they would be faulting you for that. Yeah, and then I'm like, oh, this guy doesn't take care of himself. Well, it's at this point. It's at this point in in the debate where if you you genuinely can't win this conversation, yeah. you just got to move on. And the Make only it, reason, and, and you're good at that. Yeah, but I'm not. Well, in a deal, in a deal like that. You know, I wasn't even commenting on any of that, but it was another person who this this comment started by somebody who's kind of a celebrity in their own right online and everybody knows who he is. And and I was kind of surprised that he even commented because typically he's got his own thing going on. He's got his own brand. He was trolling you. And so he put the thing out there. Well, I don't think the guy intended for it to become a 250 comment thing (laughs) about my teeth. And so, you know, he uh, you know, obviously he got his phone blowing up all day long with notifications but that's what he gets i uh yeah so it's it's a pretty amazing thing i mean it really is it i i knew and i'll be honest with you this this is a total moment of confession here years and years and years ago i knew that there was i had the capacity to become famous sure okay so i didn't know how i didn't know what but i knew through the ability to communicate and do some things i knew that there was just that deep sense of thing inside of me our good friend luke Bashera told me a couple years ago he said you're the first guy that i've ever met who became famous by pretending to be famous hey and and that's what i did i just welcome carried to myself, the entertainment industry i just carried myself like i was going to be somebody and then all of a sudden and i still don't think of myself as famous but I am recognized. People know who you are. I'm recognized. If I walk through the People airport, in Vermont, send you maple exactly, syrup and Slossom. If I go, where is that located? I don't know. I gotta look Do at remember? that again. I don't have to look at the message. I gotta know. But gotta they know did. They did that. tell me to have a Slossom day. Of course and they so, did. Yeah. So I, I. Uh, <laughs> You're a slossom guy, and you do slossom videos, and we hope you have a slossom day. Hey, you know, if they want to sponsor this podcast, <laughs> I will yeah. say all that nonsense exactly. before every single well, one Well, you know, our good buddy Alex Ramundo, he and his brother-in-law, Ron White, uh, Ron Tater Salad White of uh, Blue Collar fame, <laughs> you know, they started a... Cop uh, the tequila. Tater. Yeah, they... they uh, they did. They do a. Uh, they have a tequila brand called Number Juan, and so they, you know, if you talk to Alex Ramundo, if you get his voicemail, he'll say, "Have a wonderful day." <laughs> I'm like, come on, dude, nice. you're killing me, bro. Nice, you're killing me. But uh, as cheesy as crap like that is, though, that's it that's sticks. The kind We're of stuff talking that you about have it. Have to do, yeah. You, I mean, we've been talking about Slossom, and everyone's gonna hate on you for doing crap like yeah. that. But they're gonna be talking about it, and then more people are gonna go, "Well, what is that? I never yeah. heard of that." And they're gonna go look it up, Slossom. Yeah, I may or may not look that up, but. I'm going to never forget that. Don't forget it. No. I, you know, I, I, and I've caught it over the years. So, so obviously when you have the following that I do and the amount of eyeballs on the stuff that I do, I probably have, I don't know, 100, 120 videos that have over a million views. Yeah. Countless others have hundreds of thousands, high hundreds of thousands. I I can't even, I have no idea at this point. It's awesome. Companies are going to come to you. Um, uh, You know, I've got. Uh, skeleton optics sunglass company i've got american hat company i've got tx whiskey 
that's that's bottled and distributed right here in Fort Worth. I, I saw you guys traveling with whiskey barrels. Yeah, that's TX. You know that they they sponsored the comedy tour and have done a phenomenal job. Have been incredible and valuable partners. Um, I need to actually give them a call see if they're mad at me about anything. Yeah, if um, they want to sponsor this podcast but too, but they're, they're, they're good dudes. They're, you know, they're out right here out of Fort Worth. <laughs> I'm looking for sponsors. Um, might need to talk to number one. The uh, <laughs> I'll, say, I'll say that day. however they want me to say it. I'll say yeah. It. <laughs> uh, but uh, then my, my big guys, I mean, the folks that have really been a huge partner of mine from the very beginning rank rodeo threads. I mean, those guys. But I have people, uh, you know, and they just make T-shirts and apparel and things like that with Western stuff and mm-hmm. you know, rodeo interest. And uh, rank's been a great partner. But I have people who will see me kind of – I'll do videos every month for the American Paint Horse Association. And yeah. I'll do just a brief minute and a half video advertising what they've got coming up. And trying to encourage people to go join the the Paint Horse Association. Mm-hmm. And inevitably somebody will comment and they'll say, you're such a sellout. You're such a sellout. That now you just you used to be so real and now you advertise for people and you do all these things. It's like, you don't understand. That was the goal from the beginning. I mean, I want to entertain people, but honestly, it's nice to eat too. You yeah. know, it's nice. I've got to, a lot of big opinions about sellout. Yeah. The term sellout. Yeah, I do too. I, I think it's a horribly, horribly damning thing yeah. that people think about someone who's yeah. become successful at the craft that they've been working on right. for their life. It's especially bad in the music industry yeah. because it's it's 100% comes from a terrible, jealous place. That's yeah. the only place that that comes from. Agreed. It's, there's no other way to, to, to justify that. If, if I become a musician, I don't become a musician to play for 15 people every night for the rest of my life. I right. become a musician because I have something to say, ideally, and I'm, I have a, a voice that I can give to people and, they, and they're going to listen to what I have to say and they're going to internalize it and I, hopefully they're going to like it and they're going to tell their friends and then they're going to show up and they're going to tell their friends and then I can, I can get this out, this message out to as many people as possible. Right. I don't want to cap that to 15 people a night. And so once you get to a point where you're doing well like that, and then you go on tour and you start selling places at other places and then you get a record deal and mm. then you do all the stuff. People go, oh, well, he sold out. He got a record deal. Like, yeah. like, what do you think I've been trying to yeah, do what, for what this do you whole think this time? Goal Just because you're not doing it doesn't mean that right. I shouldn't do it. Like I, if you were offered the same deal I was offered. Right. You would have taken it, right. but you're calling me a sellout, and then I'd be calling you a sellout because I'm a miserable <laughs> piece of shit, and I don't know any better. You know what I mean? It's such a it's such a horrible well, thing to say about know, somebody. When I when I first when I when I stopped in the corporate world and said I wanted to make a living being me, right on the heels of that, I was real fortunate because Ride Television Network um, uh, came to me and they said, "Look, we don't really know each other, but we're a new TV network. We want to get we want to we're interested in seeing if maybe you'd fit in one of our TV shows, hosting a show where you come by do a screen test and read off a teleprompter and do all these things." So I did, and I had experience in all of that. So immediately they were like, "You're our guy. We want to do this show with you." So uh, I was doing that, and a lot of the social media videos happened because I was trying to promote this show and this network that right. was trying to get distribution. And now we're on Dish Network and things like this. And That's it, awesome. And back before that, so we've done three seasons of this television show that you know people are just now starting to see and watch because mm-hmm. you know it's it's just now getting its distribution. But I can remember back when I would post videos saying, "Hey, go go request ride uh, ride TV on Dish Network. Send them a message. You know, right. come on our website, send them a message, and do these things." And um, people would say, "You're such a sellout." You're such a sellout because, you know, because now you're trying to do TV. They don't understand. I was doing TV before I was doing social media videos. Right. 
I was right. using, I did social media videos to promote what I was doing on TV. Right. And let me tell you something. I just got off the phone last week with a very major network that's wanting to do a new show concept. And I tell you what, if they come back to me and say, we want to do this show, you can call me sellout all day long. I'm going to do that damn show. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm going to go do Absolutely. that show. And you know what? I'll still come home to Fort Worth. I'll still go have my drinks over here at the Spice Rack in Burleson, Texas yeah. and hang out with Jason Story and all the boys over here yeah. and watch Dallas Cowboy football. But when it comes time to go to work, I'm going to get on that airplane it's and I'm going to go to New York and do that job. That's like going, getting a job at a bank and being a bank teller, which I understand is the entry level position. Right. And having no aspirations for the rest of your life to never become anything more than just that, that entry level position. But if you get a job yeah. as a, as a, you're running a loan department now, right. you're a sellout. Right. What you, you think you're better yeah, than me? Exactly. Cause you got a promotion. Exactly. You, you sold out, man. I can't believe you took an extra seven fifty. People gave you money and day. you accepted it. Yeah, how dare you? <laughs> Sell out. I mean, let, let's let, let's break that whole deal down. It's terrible. You decided terrible to concept. make yourself more successful and potentially make more money. How dare you? And you hate me for it. I should have stayed broke and poor because you weren't going to send me any money no, to pay my mortgage. No. You 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 had no. You know what? I was just fixing to write you a grant that you never had to pay back so right. you could feed your kids for the rest of the, but no you had to go and sell out my my personal experience with hearing people say that not about me cuz i haven't done anything worth being called a sellout but i hear there there have been a couple of fort worth artists that have done really big things in the yep. last few years and i hear people saying that about them yeah and i always say the same thing i just said to you about that if you were in their position, what would you have done? Yeah. Well, I would have. St- I you wouldn't. I would have stayed home, and I would have just continued being myself. They're still being themselves, though. Right. They're just doing it on a much larger platform. Right. Yeah, but they're not even that good. Like my my shit's better than theirs is. It's like, <laughs> well, obviously it's not, or you would have gotten the attention that they got. Yeah. Like, worry about yourself more than worrying about everyone else's success, man. Yeah. Because. And, and I say that to anyone who's listening that you can, here's the thing. Here's something that I genuinely believe about, about life. And this is something that's really come into effect since I quit drinking. And I'm, this is not me being preachy, but this is what I really believe. If you, I, 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 I'm not a very religious person. We don't need to get into that, but I believe in, in energy. I believe in, if I, I was an extremely negative person before I quit drinking. Right. And it was something that I knew about myself because people would tell me, they would compare me to people, other people who I, I thought were negative and they go, you're like the same person. And I hated that about myself, but I didn't know how to change it. I didn't know how to stop doing that until one day I was at the bar that I hang out. I used to hang out at the most and I have thought, and it was a shitty negative thought and I went to say it and I stopped myself and I thought, and I, and no one was waiting for me to say anything. So I kind of had this finger up in the air and then, okay, I'm not going to say that moment. No one saw it. And I, but I spent the next hour analyzing why was I about to take a dump on whatever I was about to take a dump on? Why? What, what inside of me was causing this that I needed to lash out at someone else that has nothing to do with me. And I figured that figured that out. And from that moment, that was a very defining moment in my life. And I figured out when I have that thought, if I see you doing a video and there's a million video, a million, million views, this wouldn't happen. But for example, I would say, well, like that's not, that's not funny. Like that joke's right. not funny. And then I would go, okay, well, 
that's I don't think that. What? Why are people like? What is it about this that people like? Yeah. Okay. Well. Okay, that's kind of funny. Okay, well, he's got a nice shirt on. He looks nice. He's presented himself well. He's obviously worked at it. He's he's put in a lot of time and effort. And then I and then I'm saying positive things. And I fully and and a hundred percent believe that if I, if I put out enough positive energy, and I figure out why why I'm feeling negative energy, and I fix that within myself before I even try to do anything else, then I can put out genuine positive energy. Yeah. That positive energy is going to change someone else's outlook. Right. Cause I, I have a, I have a, a, I know I have a lot of acquaintances that all they do is they shit around, they sit around and they shit on everyone around them. That's <laughs> yeah. all they do. They look at the guy at the table over there and they go, look at that guy's shirt. That guy looks like a moron. Like I bet he is a complete loser. Right. And it's like, why would you even think that? Right. What, what is your ne- You've never seen that guy before in your life. You're never yeah. going to see him again. Why would you have any thought about that right. person ever? Why do you care about this band that's playing on stage that you don't like? They're terrible. Okay, well, you can't play every bar in Fort Worth every night, so they've got to yeah. fill it in with other stuff. It's not terrible. There are 300 people in there that don't think it's terrible. Right. You think it's terrible because there are 300 people in there that aren't at your show. Exactly. That's why you think it's terrible. I tell people all the time, I say, look, I may not know your past, but I can take the words you're using in the present and tell you your future. Absolutely. And that's the deal. The stuff that you're putting out there, putting it in the universe, putting it out there in terms of negative energy or positive energy, whatever it is. And I, and I truly believe there is power in the spoken word. Obviously, I wouldn't do what I do. I wouldn't chase what I do. And, and I don't believe that it's one of those you can confess it and possess it. But I believe that when you confess it, you will rise to chase it. Yeah. You will pursue your words. Yeah. When you put it out there, if it's negative, you're going to pursue negative. If it's positive, you'll pursue positive. It makes me feel good. And I'm assuming this has got to be somewhat universal because I think I've seen it happen in enough people. If I encourage you, I get encouraged. Absolutely. If I pull you down, I'm going to feel negative. I had a guy who posted something today, and they tagged me and a few news agencies, and it was about me. And they, they just said, you're the, you're the most annoying guy in the world. It was on Twitter. So click on his Twitter profile, and it is one thing after another oh, of man. him complaining about people. And, I mean, he just tagged so-and-so and, and shit on them. I mean, you know, just do yeah. all this stuff over You're and over again. one in a list of people and that just he's accosted go, today. I mean, just thousands of people, this guy. And I was like, and then I say, okay. Here's what I want to do. And this is this is another weird universal truth that I've discovered on social media. I'll say, I want to see a picture of this guy. Right. You can't find a picture of that guy. No. Because this guy's so miserable, he ain't even confident enough to put his own picture up there. Absolutely. I can tell you that 90% of the people who say something negative to me, and I mean really just really trollish negative on my stuff, and I'm like, I want to click on their profile, see what this person looks like. You, you'll just see meme after meme after meme. And sure. sometimes there's a picture of the cross with a sunrise or a sunset. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> you know? which is but very yeah, conflicting. E- exactly, though the irony. And it's not it, that visual visual appearance means anything right. or, or I everything. just want to see what they look like. But those people, that's a, that them not being even confident enough to, to put, put them on. They can't put a face with their words. That is they can't exactly, even put their oh. face up. They can't even look you in the eye yeah. virtually with a profile yeah. picture. You can, you, can, you can see that about someone and pretty much predict what yeah. all their posts are going to be. Yeah, and and I can do it. I, and I you can almost I can predict it like you know knowing the sun's going to come up tomorrow. When somebody says something, I'll I'll tell somebody. I say, well, go look at their profile. I guarantee you, it's a universal insecure yeah. thing that's going on. Yeah, and it and, doesn't make them feel better. No, they think it's going to, but no, it doesn't. And if they would turn around and do the opposite, yeah, ultimately they would live a better life. Well, and that the nature of sadism, which is exactly what that is, is is that. You know, you want to make 
people feel. It makes you feel good to make them feel bad. Right. And it almost gives you like a sexual pleasure sure. out of it because you're, you're looking for this form of high from making people feel bad. Yeah. But you, it's, it's a weird control. But it's like a drug. You're never satisfied. Yeah. You got to do it more and more. And it's, it's a, a weird, weird manipulation. Yeah. Yeah. And you're, con- you're, you're getting off. It's little kids get that way. Yeah. Like you run young, young kids, three or four years old. They realize if I say this, it makes this girl cry. Yeah. I get off on that power yeah. of having the, I can, I can say this thing. I don't even know what it means, but it's if the, she doesn't like it. It's the pure nature of being a bully. This reaction. Yeah. I, I feed off of this reaction. That's, it's an interesting human nature thing, but that's how I was. And I admit it fully that I, I was one of those people that would sit around in in a hundred percent jealousy from a really negative place, yeah. and I would and I would and I would just I would run people through the mud because I wasn't achieving the success that they were achieving, yeah. and I was jealous. And and I I've turned it around to the point where most of those thoughts, if I have a negative thought about something or someone. I try to frame it in a positive way, in a constructive way. Mm-hmm. I never say it to them, obviously, but I try even in my own head, even if I know there's no one around and I hear a song and I go, that's just, I don't like the way that's put together. Why? Okay, well, this could have been better. And maybe if they had tried this. And then at that point, I'm, I'm, I'm building it up in my head as, as it's not just bad. It's just, here's what could have been better. And right. those two those two things are polar opposites in terms of your psyche and the way that you approach these things. And if I put that out there, I don't feel better or worse at the end of it. I've just analyzed something on a very critical level. Yeah. I'm not just going, this is terrible, and that makes me feel like I'm better than that. And I, I really, like we were just saying before, I believe so much in in creating creating positive energy and putting that out there, and that will come back to you because that's what that's what is you're surrounding yourself well, with. Yeah, in a deal like that, I mean, you literally you reap what you sow in a deal. And I mean, I just don't think people understand that about about human nature. Negative people flock to negative people. Yeah. Positive people flock to positive people. Successful people flock to successful people. That's why celebrities hang out with celebrities. Yeah. Because the, the celebrities don't just go to the bar and make friends with me. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're not going to because I'm not. I'm not. I don't understand life like they yeah. understand life. Well, I and there's an old thing that says Except for old, you, yeah, you do, you hang out. with I me. still hang out, but I'm not a celebrity. You are. I uh, more we, than me. We go to. Um, uh, I go back to an old study that says that people tend to make within twenty percent of the people they hang out with the most financially. I think that's true. Yeah. It, it, as far as an emotional investment too, if you hang around negative people, you're going to be negative and, and negativity. I mean, we started this conversation today talking about this negative things are more appealing. If I walked in the room, you and I just met and I said, I hate your guts, man. You're like, what? You don't know me. Uh, but you'd sit there all night long going, why does this guy hate my guts? Yeah, what did I if do? I walked in the room and said, man, Oh, you're awesome. I think you're great. I love you, buddy. Yeah. You're like, well, you don't, they gotta know me. How can he say that about, he doesn't know if he loves me or not. And then yeah. you move on from it. So you reject you reject the the love and the positivity, but we accept the negativity yeah. about us, and and that's you know, again, those are the things that stick with us. And I was at Jason's Deli yesterday eating lunch, and the guy behind the cash register, I walked up, and he, he just a normal dude behind the cash register, and he goes, "Hey man, I really like your haircut. That's cool. I guess a good looking haircut looks good on you. What can I get you?" And I was I was so taken aback by that. He had there was no intention. Yeah. He wasn't hitting on me. He was just a dude 
that he went, that's a cool haircut. Like that looks good. That's a cool that haircut. Good you miss the long hair. I miss it dearly. Do you really? This is so much easier. Yeah, it's a cool haircut though. I get a lot of crap for this haircut. Really? More than more. I get more crap than I get positive. Really? Way more. People, people, it's because it's a non-traditional haircut. I think, it, I, I mean, I think it's cool like that. Like I if think I had it is a lot too. of hair, if I had a lot of hair on top, or I'd do the whole shaved on the sides and the back and all I, that stuff. What I, let me tell you, let me tell you what, I, why I decided on this haircut. I don't spend all of my life in the public eye, yeah. but I spend some of it. And so I want to look when I'm on stage or doing a, a public thing, I want to look like I'm, like I'm yeah. somebody who belongs on a stage. Right. But when I'm off stage, I don't want to look so much like I'm supposed to be on stage yeah. that I look out of place just yeah. at the grocery store. But I also want people to look at me in the grocery store and go like, what does that guy do? Yeah. That was my thought process. So I landed on this and it's not that outlandish, but I tell you what, I only started hanging out in the stockyards in Fort Worth a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. three years ago or so, because I had a couple of really bad experiences in the stockyards because I don't wear cowboy boots, mm-hmm. not because I think there's anything wrong with it. It's just not who I am. Right. I wear tennis shoes and jeans and t-shirts, sweatshirts. And I had long hair at the time, beautiful, luxurious, long hair at the time. <laughs> Make no mistake. It was. <laughs> and so people, these, 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 the people, words that I've never said personally about myself. I've hey, never had you know, long, uh, I know, hair. I know me, but that's a $2,500 mink hat. Right I can't there, argue baby. with that. <laughs> I can't argue with that. That's my luxurious headpiece right there. Beautiful. Anyway, back to your story. But I've had people like at, at some of the places down there, I'm not going to name any places, but like very people you would expect to find in the stockyards sure. without being demeaning to anyone. Right start shit with me mm-hmm. for no other reason other than I look like this and they look like that. Yeah. And it's, and it's, it's gotten scary a couple of times. And I know I would go places where I knew people and it would, the, the, the situation would not get out of hand because I didn't want it to get out of hand. So I would either leave or move to another area of the bar. Yeah. Cause I'm not going to do that. I'm not into right. bar fighting. Exactly. But that happened enough that it made me not go anymore for a long time. And then I started going because I knew more people that, that, that were down than more people that I knew than other, that I knew more people in the bar than I didn't know. Right. And then when that would happen, everyone in the bar would go, what the hell are you talking about? Who are, who are you? Like, and then they, yeah. would, they would take care of it. But I forget where I was going with that. That was a good story. Yeah. I, I do the same thing online, though. See, like, I, I don't fight. I don't, I don't like to fight. I don't want to fight. I don't. Fighting hurts even if you win, so I don't want to fight you anybody. Still get hit in the face. Yeah, uh, exactly. So I don't have, I don't have, I have people who will try to attack me and try to draw me out online. And what I've discovered is if I'll sit back long enough, I've got an, I know more people. Like yeah. You said the ratio has now changed. You don't have to do They'll anything. They'll take care of it for me. Yeah. And so, um, you know, it's it's a funny thing. It's a weird dynamic, but yeah. People are, it's an interesting dynamic out there of how people want to start trouble or cause trouble and, and create those things. I think some people just genuinely enjoy it. It's, it's the and sadism. those people are terrifying to me. Yeah. There are people, I've known people personally who will go to the bar, get drunk, and find, just find someone to pick a fight with. Just because yep. that was what they That's did. That's what they it enjoyed. It was fun them. to them. Yeah. And I would just, I just leave. I went yeah. there, I could see in their eye, they're looking around for someone to make eye contact with them, and I'd go, I'm out, I'll see you later, I'm not doing yeah. this. 
It's a good way to get shot or stabbed. Man, especially these days with like it's, MMA and and everyone's yeah. got a gun or a knife. I'm I have two knives on me right now. I just that's just what I. But have you seen that Bowie knife that was given to me? That thing. Is, yeah, it's like two feet long. Yeah, look at this thing. I almost want to take it out again. Hey, see, and that's, that's this is why God did not endow me as a man because you want because I'd want to take it out all the time. <laughs> hey, you know, <laughs> there are professions for that as well. If that's something you're into. Well, again, we go back to where this conversation started. I wanted to do a sex tape, and and it just I felt yeah. like that would help me go viral, but no, it would actually yeah. not be a good thing. No, nobody wants to see that. Nobody wants to see that. No. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't know. I just, I, there's too much I, I, in my sobriety. I'm trying not to be a hippie and I'm trying not to be preachy, but I've, I've become such a positive person and I try to put as much of the positive vibe out into the world as I can. I found out, here's a big revelation I had once I quit drinking. I would hang out at mostly at the same bar all the time for f- several years. I hung, since I've moved to Fort Worth, hung out the same place and I see the same people. Right. In there, you're in there every night. You see the same people. You you're, you're great friends. And then when I quit drinking, I didn't go to the bars for a couple of months, and I didn't see any of these people, and not one of them, not literally one of them, ever texted texted me or messaged me on Facebook to ask where I was, how I'm doing, where where have you been? Not a one of them did. But when I would go to the bar, I'd see them after a couple of months. They would all go. Oh, hey, I haven't seen you in forever. Like, what's up? And then we would have the exact same conversation that we had yeah. two months ago. And then I would see them again a week later, and we would have the exact same conversation. And I equated that. These were people that I thought were really good friends of mine. And I learned that they are friends just 100% by proximity. It's like being in high school. And you're free, you become friends with people that are in your classes with you because you see them every day. Those are your friends. And then summertime comes, and you don't see those people anymore. And you get new classes next year, and those people are your friends. Right. And you graduate, and you never talk to any of them again. There's like I can count on one hand the amount of people from high school that I genuinely talk to on a regular basis. Hmm. And I, we, I graduated with like 600 people in my class, and I knew most of them. And I count on one hand the amount of people that I that I choose to continue to hang out with or talk to even because they yeah. don't even live around here, and and that and I that was a really big revelation for me especially when I quit when I had stopped drinking because these were people that I really thought were my friends and so I had to I had to evaluate my circle of friends got really small right. really fast of people that I care to be around because they care to be around me, and those were people who weren't the type of people who sit around the table talking crap about the guy over there that's by himself that looks funny they're not those are people who are who are like johnny cooper he is unrelentingly positive and upbeat and i choose to be around him and he chooses to be around me because i'm that way now and we lift each other up constantly and justin and we all you know we all hang out and we all just sit around complimenting each other and laughing and having a great time and and those are people now that I choose to be around. It's more fun. It's way more fun. It's yeah. so much, and it's just so much less stressful. And it creates an atmosphere of creativity. Yeah. It's so much easier. It's a very nurturing environment. It is. It's so much easier to be able to throw ideas out there around people that aren't going to immediately reject what you're doing. Without even a thought. Yeah. Yeah. It like, you know, there, because there's, there's even positive ways to be, uh, you know, to criticize or there's positive ways to uh, deny you know, or you know there's there's 
positive ways to say no. Absolutely. I mean, I have ideas all the time and I'll put them out there and I've got, you know, this circle of trust and these good friends who'll be like, oh, you know, maybe you don't want to try that. Maybe we do. Maybe if you did it this way, yeah. they do it in such a positive. Oh, that's a great idea. But, you know, why don't, what if you did it and looked at it this angle? Right. It's so much more productive because now it's like we haven't invi- invited that doubt into the delivery room. Right. You know, they're now not just saying, oh, that's, yeah. that's dumb. That sucks, man. Why would you think that? You're stupid. That sucks. Yeah, because then you're, then you're going, well, I didn't think it sucked. Yeah, now you're questioning everything you've ever done, you know? Yeah. Everything. And that's hard in the profession that you're in and the profession that I'm in because it's very it's very honest. Yeah. It's I open myself up a lot in my songwriting. And I try, sometimes I try to mask it in, in to where you may not realize that it's a very personal story. There's a song on my last record. I have a friend from high school, and uh, she and I were friends in high school, and then we graduated, and I didn't see her for 10 years. And I met up with her again about a year and a half ago. She had, she lived in Florida. She just moved back to Fort Worth, and he, she and her husband of eight years were getting a divorce. And he mm-hmm. stayed in Florida. She moved back to, to DFW. And so I ran into her, and we hung out for like a week. We hung out three or four times just hanging out, and she she had a lot to get off of her chest. Mm-hmm. And and. I was in the position to listen. And so we just went out to the bars, had a few drinks and talked and she would lay a lot, lay a lot of it on me. And what she said about her, nothing happened. No one was in unfaithful. No one, there was no abuse. It was just a relationship that started when they were too young. They grew apart. That's all. That's all that happened. So, but in her brain, she called herself. She said the word failure multiple times mm-hmm. and that she was, she felt bad because she couldn't make it work because they couldn't make it work. She said her mother was, was making her feel guilty about Mm. getting a divorce because it just wasn't working. They didn't love each other anymore and she needed to move on with her life. She was 29 years old at the time and she, she had all her whole life ahead of her. Why stay for another 50 years in a bad relationship? That was her thought. But in her brain, all the people around her that she had surrounded herself with were making her feel worse and worse and worse about the situation. And I did everything in my power to say, if it's you, you got to get out of it. If it's not working, that's not a bad thing. There's nothing wrong with that. You just, if it's not working, it's not working. There's nothing wrong with it. I got, that was the only thing I could think of to say because it struck me in such a way that she didn't do anything wrong. Nobody did anything wrong, but she was taking it. She was taking it as if she was the one that was at fault Mm -hmm. and she had to explain to everyone why I messed up our marriage and I couldn't make it work. And it was, it was weighing on her so heavily that it was making her depressed and she was too, she was losing weight, like stress weight. Mm -hmm. And she couldn't like, she was had a job she hated. Like it was, it was destroying her life, all this guilt. And, uh, we lost touch after a couple of weeks of hanging out. And, uh, and, and I, but that stuck with me for so long that I ended up writing a song called, I hope that ended up on my last record. Mm -hmm. And the gist of the song, the very end of the song, it goes into this bridge section and the, the words, uh, you can't grow when you're living in the shade. Uh, you can't grow when you're living in the shade of a love so cold, it won't give back what you gave. Those, those, that's the first part of the bridge. And that to me is what I was trying to say to her in the moment. You can't grow as a person when you're overcast by this, this cold shadow of someone who's not reciprocating that love. And if that's the situation, you got to get out of it. But everyone was telling her she was wrong and she was at fault and it was destroying her confidence. And so I wrote that song. The song's called, I hope it's on my last record. And, And that song means so much to me. 
because it's such a personal thing. But I, fi- but I don't tell people that story very often. Like right. on stage, I, I, I rarely tell that story. So they think it's just something that I wrote. It's yeah. just words. And, and maybe they'll get it. Maybe they won't. If they're really paying attention, they'll get it. And uh, I, sent it, I actually sent that song to her about three days ago. I never told her that I did that. Wow. We haven't spoken since then. And I, I uh, sent her a copy of that song, and she loved it. She yeah. was, it's a good song. Thank you. I, she was she was thrilled that 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 I that, you know that that situation would be an inspiration, and she really liked just the way it came out and the positive message. And she's yeah. doing way better now, I guess. And we just had like a five line conversation on Facebook of, "Hey, I did this. I want you to know. I hope you're doing well. Yeah, yeah I'm doing better. Okay, great. I probably won't talk to you again for ten years. <laughs> right. But you know what I mean. But that's the kind of stuff that that you and I do. You put a lot of yourself in your act, I imagine. Mm-hmm. You when you're being self-deprecating, it's not just to get laughs. It's it's putting an insecurity out there and using sure. that as a shield. Sure. And that's the same thing in songwriting that 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 people do. And I think when people hear that, they recognize that that's real. Yeah. Going back to our conversation earlier about writing things that are very contrived and coming across as contrived and writing them because you think this is something people will like. People identify that and they don't like it. You yeah. think they're going to because it sounds like something that they like, but that thing that they like was real. And that's why they liked it. Not because mm. it had these chords in it or it was this melody or this beat. It was because it was real and they bought it because it was something that applied to them. Right. And if I try to do my version of that, it's going to sound like my version of that. Right. You know what I mean? And that I I feel like that people don't understand that. And it's a very it's a very scary thing to do. And when people take take that without a second thought or a second glance and they dump all over it or one of your videos that you probably think about a whole lot before you, everything you're going to say in a two minute video, it's probably very well thought out and, and, and scripted. And then someone just listens to 10 seconds of it and goes, you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> like, Oh, it happens. That sucks. That it sucks happens. so much, but they don't, but just like everything else we've seen people, they don't realize that they could just first of all they could just not say anything you don't right. have to comment on everything yeah you could just, just let it go if you're listening right now and you're having a negative thought about this podcast just turn it off yeah just turn it i don't it i don't care i don't care have i offended you uh i don't fucking care so go <laughs> listen to something else like you're entitled to be offended and i'm entitled to not care that i'm offending you yeah right like that's yeah. my right as an american i yeah. you can be offended if you yeah. don't like my haircut don't look at me. Yeah, well, I mean, the thing is, and everybody's offended with something nowadays. And that, I Recreational mean, it's, it's, outrage. Yeah, just stop being offended. I mean, it's not like it's not like if you got offended, you're going to wake up tomorrow with some kind of disease because now, you, you know, it's not like we put something on you. Yeah. You know, you're not waking up tomorrow with syphilis because you got offended tonight by us. So I hope know, that's not going to happen. I mean, good Lord. I mean, if, that's pretty potent. If we're giving people syphilis because they're listening to this podcast. Podcast syphilis. Yeah, this is. That's a totally new strain. Yeah, this is a whole. Call the CDC because this is a real deal. <laughs> this is a potent podcast. A Walking Dead situation. Potent podcast. Do you watch The Walking Dead? Uh, yeah, I, I haven't watched the last two seasons of it. And I, I'm, I, I almost hate to pick back up with it because I know it's going to be addicting and I'm going to have to sit there and watch it all at once. It's up a lot of time. And uh, I, you know, and then after we go longer and longer of not watching it, people start revealing things and talking about it. That's and I'm like, a hard ah, part. Now I can't, and I know that so-and-so is going to die and stuff like that. Now everybody's, I keep getting these people who send me messages or post online that I look like Negan. Is that his name? Negan. 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 Yeah. I, okay. What so is Jeffrey. Yeah. Something Williams or something yeah. like that. 
and so people will post pictures of my picture next to his picture and um and they'll say oh my god he looks like negan you do kind of and so i see that because because with the pictures you know somebody put two pictures and i was like okay i see that yeah um i i I get what they're saying so i'm like i really don't even look like a dude i don't even know who negan is really jeffrey dean morgan jeffrey dean morgan yeah and so I was like, I used to, I, I mean, like I said, I look at how it's spelled and I'm thinking, is it Nagin? It's like being Chad Prather or Chad Prather and it's Prather, but I'd answer to both. So. Have you ever thought about changing it <laughs> to have a stage name? Uh, a lot know, of people do that Yeah, you know, when they have something that's not immediately recognizable. Yeah, you know, I, I did think about that over some year, um, for a while, you know, I've thought about just using Chad Elliott, which is my middle name. That's a good which, one. Which is easier to that's do. That's what Justin then, Ross does. Yeah, yeah. So I thought about I thought about doing Chad Elliott. Now at this point, Prather's kind of become so recognizable, but I still get Prather, and I understand that. And uh, I, I just that's answer. probably the only acceptable other version of that. Well, Prather is actually, if you look at Panther, it phonetically, it could be Chad Panther. Yeah, no, and that that was uh, the number of people were calling me that for a long time, the Panther. <laughs> but phonetically speaking, if you look at it, because you got a, a vowel surrounded by two consonants on both sides, not to get too boring on that grammatically, but uh, it should be Prater. But, but it comes from the German Prater, so they added the HN somewhere along after they migrated over, so it became Prather. But um, Chad Elliott, um, I had a, yeah, I've thought about different stage names, but that's something too late I pre- now. really should have thought about two years ago Yeah, before it got to where it was at this point. That's the same th- thing with my band. It's called Chris Watson Band. Yeah. And I tried to not. I tried to get rid of the word band. Yeah. A couple of years. I've been doing that for ten years. Yeah. Now marketing it. Well, now if you search you out on on iTunes, if you just type in Chris Watson, it'll it'll give you just Chris Watt. It'll give you Chris Watson. Now maybe it may be a Chris Watson band album. It will. But, but it'll find you under just Chris Watson. But right? here's the reason why I can't get away from the word band, and I will tell you, and this sucks so much. There's a gentleman who, for the last. 30 plus years has been recording very high quality recordings of nature sounds like B-roll and he he licenses them to movies and TV shows. He's made a ton of money. He's licensed. He's got a ton of credits and movies and TV shows and commercials because he's licensing ambient nature sounds. He make, he puts out records of these sounds to sleep to and just crap like that. He's done very successful, but his name is Chris Watson. And so when you type that into any musical outlet, he comes up first. Wow. And I released my Black, White, and Gray record in 2014 as Chris Watson. And no one could find it because all of his stuff pops up and mine's down here because he's sold so much that he gets mm. first, first rights to what gets to be looked at. And I'm way down here at the bottom and no one could find it. And so I had to pull it. I I made it. I made a release date. I had this whole thing. I had to pull it two months later and re-release it as wow. Chris Watson Band, so people could find it. And that's why I can't Very get rid of it. Interesting. It's it sucks, but yeah. I, and I'm not faulting that guy. Yeah. I have no problems with what he's doing, but I didn't. It's my fault for not finding out. Yeah. And I've Talk thought it. about adding different things, like Chris Watson and the somethings, yeah. or whatever, but. Or Chris Wallace, that's my middle name. Chris, I was gonna release some some of this new stuff as Chris Wallace, but there's another guy named Chris Wallace. That's a pretty common name. Yeah. So I don't know. Well, I know that um, uh, I have a a different identity issue in that now I have people who are doing copycat accounts of me. Oh yeah. On social media, 
you know, all the way to the point of using them on dating profiles where they'll use my picture and sometimes my name. So I have to get on Facebook at least. I have What's to get Facebook to take off at least two fake accounts a week. What what? They do it to catfish women is what they're doing. Just trying to get pictures? They're just trying to either get pictures or get somebody to talk. I mean, we've had guys have tried to scam for money. I've had people. I've had. There, there was you a, could get cut in on that. There was a guy in Holland uh, here recently who was doing that. And these ladies in Holland were falling for his deal. So I was getting messages from, from Denmark and stuff like this. Like they were finding your Facebook page yeah. thinking you were oh, that guy on well, Tinder. Well, you know, I mean, some of these ladies will actually tell me. They're like, you know, we, we met this guy. We started talking to him. And uh, we fell in love. I fell in love with this guy. And then I, somebody said, well, that's not who that is. And they showed me one of your videos. And now I realize I got totally scammed now by I'm this guy. You. Yeah, now I'm, I'm, I'm on, my, on a plane right now headed to, <laughs> you know, Burleson, Texas. Uh, but Is there an airport in Burleson? Uh, a little private it's airport. It's not an international airport. No. They got to fly in a DFW to, keep, <laughs> to get close. They'll parachute in, though. <laughs> they could do that. I, uh, but one of the nice things about having that verified blue check mark on your social media pages mm-hmm. is when I tell Facebook this is a co- or Twitter this this is a copycat account or mm-hmm. somebody's imitating me, they get it taken down literally within minutes. Um, I've never had it take take more than thirty minutes for them to get that kind of thing taken. Yeah, down. that's great. because again, I've already gone through the identity verification and all those things. Yeah. And I'm one of the few people who has the blue check mark on the personal, my personal page and my fan page. Uh, because years ago I, I, I just decided to keep everything on a personal page rather than just the fan page. And sometimes I wonder if I, if I should have merged them all together because you still can do that, but you lose your content where you yeah. post it on your yeah. personal page. So I've just decided to leave it alone. I've considered that as well. I have, I, at one point I had 5,000 friends, which is the max. And then yeah. I've got like 3000 likes on my other page yeah. and I considered joining them, but you, you lose most of your content. You lose the content. Now you can save it in a file and repost it, but then you're starting from square one on all that. And, um, uh, you know, if I go to if I go to my Facebook right now, let's take a little social media break, people, mm-hmm. on the slightly chewed podcast. Yeah, with Chris Watson, slightly chewed. Let me see if I go to. Let's see here, golly! If I take so we've been what talking about two hours, if almost we, three. If have we really coming wow. up on three hours? Wow, we're wordy. If you go back to well, that's not even the post. If I take three hours of not looking at social media, do you have any idea? Yeah, how much? How many notifications I have? No, made. I've gotten two text messages since we've been sitting here. That's that's all I got. Yeah, absolutely nuts. I'm trying to say, um, good lord, that thing is still going. That's on. a whole thing that you would have to spend a lot of your time learning how to manage that. Uh, I have, have people all the time who ask me, "Do I do it myself?" And 100 percent, yes, I do it myself. Um, but do you have to learn how to? Like, do you have to? Yeah. go to someone. Yeah. It almost, I can almost put myself in cruise control at this point and just, you know, flip back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Um, I, I can almost do it without even thinking. I can kind of do it mindlessly at this point. Yeah. But yeah, the video I did yesterday is now, I posted it yesterday at 11 a.m. And um, it's at 8 million views now. It's been shared 195,000 so crazy. times. This was a weird one, though, because I actually have more shares than I have likes. I have 138,000 likes, 137-something thousand likes. 
But 195,000 shares, that's that's an interesting. Normally that number is the opposite on that whole deal. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, kind of weird. Kind of a weird deal. But I'll tell you, if people are sharing it, man, that's that's what I want. And uh, that's why I do what I do and try to put it out there. And mostly at the end of it, yeah, I try to make a point. I really don't want to offend anybody. If I could get away from it, I would. Sure. But, you know, inevitably somebody's going to get offended. Um, yeah, it is inevitable. And then it but if I can make people smile, I don't even care if you laugh. If I can just put a smile on your face from time to time, then I, yeah. I feel like I've succeeded on that. I agree. And that's that's all you can really strive for. Yeah. And you do that a lot. A lot of people really like and appreciate and, and they laugh at your jokes and they share it because they genuinely want other people to hear the message that they heard. Yeah. And that's, that's the bottom line. That's all that really matters. And you're doing, you're going about it in the right. And I, what I would think is the right way. It doesn't mean anything for me to tell you that, but it's, it seems like it's successful and it seems like it's going really well. And it's thrilling to watch somebody that, that, that gets popular. Yeah. Like well, I appreciate you saying it, that. It's fun to see that. And it may, it means a lot to me in that I'm, you know, it still happens. That kind of stuff still happens. Musicians still get discovered yeah. and go and go viral and get crazy and get to tour. And, and people like yourself still get to be this uber charismatic person that people want to let that people want to like you. They don't have a choice. They yeah. want to like you yeah. and they, and then they do. And then you get to do all this cool stuff and and help out people and be philanthropic and and that's that's what it's all about. I if I don't know people people get this position of power and they use it for themselves and they're it's their prerogative to do that. But they're right. not they're not advancing. They're not happy. Yeah, doing all the drugs and doing all that stuff and just you know being misogynistic and doing all that. it's just no they don't they're doing that because they're trying to fill whatever hole they're trying to fill. Yeah, you. Don't do that because you are already confident and happy with your life. You have a beautiful, awesome wife. You have great kids. You have yeah. a great, great circle of people around you who love and respect you and support whatever it is that you choose to do. And that's that's where you, I think, you have a lot of it figured out. Yeah, I have a mentor who years ago he said, you know, contentment is when you can learn how to sit down on the inside, and and regardless of what's going on around you, if you can if you can just sit down and and say, okay, relax. You you made a comment a while back about, you know, when you, when you stopped drinking and, and then you just, you kind of got, you didn't use these words, but I like this phrase. You kind of got comfortable in your own skin yeah and you became okay with who you are yeah and you, it was okay to just let yourself come out. And I think that in and of itself is the key to success. When you can be comfortable as yourself, you can be a voice and not a, an echo when you can be a person and not a, a duplicate you know, not a clone of somebody else. That's when you become successful. Yeah. And I think, I think it's, everyone's you know. looking for that. Yeah. And I think if you can become, you can become that person, you can become an ambassador for other people to become that yeah. person for themselves. Well, you know, you I mean, you you play all these instruments and you've owned multiple instruments, but you take guitars, you own several guitars, you've mm-hmm. played countless numbers of guitars over the years. Mm-hmm. And I would be willing to bet that no two guitars sound exactly alike. No, none of them play exactly alike, no. but they all have their own, sense of beauty their own sense of art within them uh inherent in that instrument is the ability to bring forth music based on the person playing it and, and that's the way i've looked at it is we're all an instrument and we're all unique yeah uh, some instruments play better than other instruments at, at their given thing but yeah. every single one of them is useful yeah everyone has their thing that they're good at yeah and it, it if that thing is not playing instruments yeah they you know there's no need to harp on the fact that i play several instruments and yeah. you can't you do a lot of things that I can't do. I can I can nail a G C D and an E minor. Hey. 
That's all I need, really. That's all you tell Every me. now and then, I'll actually do a B minor, Three which is a bar, a bar chord that's really, you know, it took me years to be able to do a bar chord. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I mean, so. It, <laughs> yeah, hey, that's one of the hardest ones. That's that's the first big hump to get over. It really when is. You're learning how to play guitar. It to really make a bar is. Chord. And I've got little it's hands, too. Na- so that, too. that made, it made it, you know, all the more difficult. My mother's got tiny, tiny hands, and it's amazing. You know, as a as a professional pianist, what she can do with such little fingers—they're quick too. She, I bet. Oh man, they're all over the place. Yeah. I mean, they bounce. That's cool. They're, I it's mean, cool they're, to they're watch. all over the place. A good, a very extremely accomplished piano player is the most mesmerizing thing to watch to me. I I can do a little bit. You know, I I learned by default. I had to learn piano, and and I am not good by any stretch of the means. But that's one of the things that I really wish that I see people who play like yourself, and I'm like, golly, man, I'm so. Uh, I can't say that. I wish I could do that. If I really wished I could do that, I would go out and practice and sure. I learn how to do it. Of course. I, I don't honestly, in the deep level, I don't wish I could do that, but I sure do admire it. Yeah. Uh, if I could snap my fingers and be able to, oh, that'd be great, but that's not how life works. But I, I sure do admire yeah. people who play. And um, in, in some regards, wish that I had, you know, stuck with more of that at an early age. But yeah. Well, I mean, that's the path that that I went down and you went down your path and our paths have crossed. And that's, uh, you know, our friendship is something that I value. So absolutely. I'm glad that you agreed to do this. Well, I always have people, you know, you talk about me being famous. I always have people who are impressed that I know you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I mean, you remember, I think we we came over to uh, Jade. Jade's cousin wanted to uh, come see you one night. She's like, I really want to go see Chris Watson. And he's going to be playing at Fred's and. And I was like, well, well, let's go see him. And, then, and you know, he'll, yeah. and she's like, oh, my God, do you know him? Oh, my God, do you really know him? And I was like, I know him. I know him. We took a shower once in totally. swim trunks, and it was at a Holiday Inn. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Just put that story out there. Make a, I know, right? Make a video hey, in your truck about that. You remember, what you, you remember what you said earlier? I mean, it doesn't matter. If it doesn't have to be true. If it's no, online, No, I was going to say to yeah. what you said earlier is that perce- you were talking about how you acted like you were going to be popular. Yeah. And you became popular. Yeah. Perception is 100% reality in this industry. It really and is. It's, it's 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 a fact. Yeah. If I if if because the way that I try to explain it to someone who doesn't think about it like that is if your if Jade's cousin thinks that I'm famous, mm-hmm. then I am. To yeah. somebody I am. And yeah. then I can I can if I choose to try to capitalize on that, I can. And if if not, I well, won't. Well see but with them, those those that's were all that matters. And they, they had been involved with School of Rock and, mm-hmm. and you had done uh, you've done I things. worked there for like three years. Yeah. So I mean you were God to them. I mean they're like, Oh my God, Chris Watson, he's amazing. Sure. And I mean but I mean I see that I get that stuff in my travels. I've had people who have brought you up in conversation. Yeah. In other states That's cool. have brought you up in conversation, and, and they're like, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, Chris is a great dude, but he's an incredible musician. And, and they're like, oh, yeah, well, we've heard his stuff. We love his stuff. We'd love to come to Fort Worth. If we ever get to Fort Worth, he's one of the guys we want to go see That's play. really cool. And so and it's it's funny how it's a small world, but you know, then I can kind of pat myself on the back and say, yeah, I'm hanging <laughs> with these guys. You know, I'm not I'm not accepted in the music world or the music scene per se, but I get to be friends with the, with the, sure. these guys, and I admire them, and, and I love their the accomplishments that they've created because much of it is enviable. I mean, I, it's, it's a golly, it's something to be praised and honored because you guys have, you, you've built something. And, yeah. Uh, well, everyone's got their thing that they bring to the table and, yeah. and you, what you bring to the table is unique to you. And what I bring to the table is unique to me And it. And if we're all spending our time lifting each other up, 
then I think that's why this Fort Worth music scene thrives so much. Yeah. Is because everyone is good friends with everyone. Yeah. And and everyone invites them to these gigs and gets them on. Hey, come open for me at this show and get in front of these people and do that. And I think that that's why this music scene is is extremely special. I get to travel and you get that's to travel. There is nothing like it anywhere mm-hmm. in the country. Yeah. Like what we have here as an original. It's a it's a burgeoning original music scene. It really is, and it's a great it's a great thing, and it's harbored me well. I moved here five years ago, and I didn't really know that it was going to be like that. And it and then everyone accepted me mm-hmm. as a part of it, and I've been thrilled for that. I call Fort Worth my home. I've lived yeah. here for five years, but and I'm thirty years old. Yeah. That's not a very long time in my life, but I consider Fort Worth my home. Yeah, I do too. I mean, I live in Burleson now. We have for the last five, six years. And but, but for me, uh, I moved to Fort Worth in two thousand three. I fell in love with it. I moved out here because I had fallen in love with it. Now I, I wanted to make it home, and it always will be. And eventually, we probably will call Fort Worth our actual address home sure. again once yeah. you know kids are out of school and things like that. But um, yeah, well, we've now talked long enough to get people to Austin anyway. I, yeah, like from Fort Worth to Austin. This hopefully yeah. they'll listen to us for this long. Hopefully, I don't know. I don't see why not. Yeah, keep yeah, keep it up. If you want to wrap it up, do you have anything else you want to plug or you want to uh, get well, something you know, out there? People can always visit me at uh, watchchad.com or chadprather.com. They both go to the same place. Mm-hmm. And uh, but I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, man. dude, this is an honor, and and I'm glad to see you're doing this thing. I think I think podcasts are valuable, and I think getting information out there, especially when it's smart talk, which I think you're doing. Yeah, and that's the thing because. You know, you're a well-thought person, and I and I know from having Johnny Cooper on, and of course having myself on, and I'm a genius. So, you know, there's obviously so humble. Is I know exactly, (laughs) which you know, as far as humility is concerned, you can visit kingsofcowtown.com and see (laughs) where we're going next year because we haven't announced the 2017 dates. We just wrapped up that tour, 35 shows. Like I said, we're we're wildly successful. We're going to do one holiday show in Greenville. Uh, It's a dinner theater, uh, December 2nd. Uh, the Texan Theater in Greenville. We're going back over there. That's that, an old titty. Yeah. That they, place has been there for a long time. Mean, that, that place, but that town has been around forever. It has. And that theater, they've invested, and I won't say to tell their business, but literally millions of dollars in that theater. And yeah. I'm telling you, it's, it is state of the art. That's fantastic. Uh, one of the one of the greatest places we play. Uh, it's an expensive ticket, but when you come, you get a four course five star five star dinner. Wow. With the with the ticket price, and you get your beverages, which includes alcohol. So. Uh, I mean, it's like a hundred and forty dollar ticket, which normally our t- shows are you know twenty five bucks yeah. up to fifty bucks uh, for and a ticket. And you're probably getting three different sets of com- comedians. At- yeah, well, you are. You'll have myself and and Cowboy Bill and of course uh, Quinn Patterson, and we're going to do a. It's going to be a little bit different show because again we've done the tour for mm-hmm. sixteen. Now we're kind of revamping, getting ready to do a new show for seventeen, and and so we're going to put together some new stuff specifically for that. Kind of make it a holiday show. Awesome. And then what have I got? I'm doing a. I'm doing, oh, I got to call them. I'm, I'm doing some stuff. We're doing a Christmas show. I'm doing some narration with a musical Christmas show uh, at Arlington Music Hall, December 14th. And head to South, South Dakota. I'm in Denver this week. And gosh, just all over the place, speaking and talking. Got the Margarita Ball this weekend. That's yeah. going to be a big party, which we'll talk about off yeah. the air. And, that's uh, great, man. You're staying, you're doing, you're moving. moving I don't want to stop. You're moving and shaking. That's, it's great to see that. It's great to see that yeah. that's still a real thing. I used to see, I used to see airplanes, you know, when I was younger, I'd see airplanes in the sky and I said, I don't care where that's going. I want to be on it. Yeah. Because that's what I love. I love to go. I love to meet new people. I love to entertain and, yeah. and everywhere I go, I, I've got a new opportunity to do that. So it's been fun. Well, it's a pleasure. 
and an honor to have you on and uh, and to be you know to consider you one of my really good friends. It sure. means a lot to me. So well, thank you so you much for doing this. And uh, I guess that'll be it. We're right on the three hour mark. So if you stuck with us this long, I appreciate it tremendously. This has been episode two of the Slightly Chewed podcast with your host, uh, me, Chris Watson. And stay tuned. I got more. I have a bunch of stuff booked. A bunch of people booked. Uh, over the next couple of weeks so keep an eye out uh, subscribe on iTunes and subscribe on the Android market and wherever else it is and uh, you can find me at chriswatsonband.com see where I'm going to be coming up I don't have a, a whole lot going on until next spring uh, so I appreciate you guys listening and I will catch you next time